and say Booker T has a good momentum roaring into WrestleMania. You are the best the world has to offer. This is yours. You're the man. And at WrestleMania, Booker T does not stand a chance. North South Connection listeners, welcome back to the Roots the Aggressive Podcast, WrestleMania 19 Part 2. Okay. So this is where we're going to be getting to the uh, the heavy hitters on this on this side. This is our our big uh, more of our main event matches. Um, and since we are doing the heavy hitters, um, I'm going to start off. My first guest is a heavy hitter. You can catch him on WWE War. Uh, you can catch him on uh, Viewers Choice right here in the North South Connection, and that is Marcus Fuller. What's up, Marcus? Uh, after this holiday season, emphasis on the heavy part. Uh, <laughs> been Same. kicking back the desserts, but uh, yeah, man, happy to be here. Thanks for having me, and uh, you know, excited to cover this uh, possibly controversial match. Right. Yes, I stepped on the scale myself not long ago before we recorded this, and was uh, a bit uh, disturbed by what I saw. But <laughs> it is what it is. It's the time of year. It's life's but, good. Life is good. Right. <laughs> right. So. Um, all right, so you are joining me to cover the uh, Booker T versus Triple H world title match. And so you've been on the pod, uh, you know, multiple times before, and you've always had some, I thought, real interesting opinions on Triple H and strong opinions on it, on his run at this time. So I thought you'd be the perfect person to kind of cover this because this is sort of, to me, kind of a, I mean, it's going to keep going, but to me, it kind of culminates this whole run he's been on since he was given the world title. Because mm-hmm. I think you see a lot of what we've been seeing throughout kind of the past six months or so. You kind of see it all, I think, in this match, in the build-up to this match. So with that said, um, I'll, I'll sh- throw a broad one at you. I've kind of covered on the pod, obviously, in detail, where this kind of, to me, the build to this match started off as, like, all-time horrendous. and kind of ended up, like, they kind of leveled off in the last couple of weeks at more, like, they upgraded to more like mediocre, I guess you could say. But mm-hmm. um, any thoughts on the build to this one? Certainly uh, an infamous one. Yeah, definitely. I thought the the battle royal to uh, get Booker to be number one contender, like I thought that was kind of cool at the time. Um, just because like you still didn't have like matches of that kind of consequence usually happen on Raw. Um, so like I thought that was a good start. Um, and then they go there with the promo. Um, you know, and there's ways to dance around it. But, you know, that's one. Uh, definitely one avenue you can take um, the racial aspect. And uh, once that gets introduced, uh, whether, you know, on purpose, accidentally, um, there's no turning back. Um, and so I thought they did well with having Booker actually just like punk out Triple H time after time um, and kind of have him get fired up and, and jump him backstage and talk trash to Flair and getting these wins on Raw like. I thought that was actually a good part of the build and uh, you know, we'll get to it in the match, but it seems like that back half of the build and the match, there is a, there's a section of the bridge missing, I think. Right. So, and I will say for kind of how haphazard the build has been a bit. um, I do think the crowd is fairly into Booker. Like they've, you know, on the go home, they were really big on him uh, getting the pin, like the crowd for, for one of these Triple H feuds where they're kind of like trying to build somebody up quickly, I think um, they've done a good job of getting the crowd by him. Now, he was already pretty over because of the book does stuff and these Booker T like people are, are into him. So it's not like just as we go into the match to make it clear that he's not just like coming off flat with the fans like he is pretty over in this feud. So we'll keep that in uh, 
in the back of our minds too. But uh, mm-hmm. no, go ahead. Oh yeah, real quick about that. Um, I know in the build they mentioned, um, you know, all guys like him. That also means you know coming from WCW, uh, and they mentioned the promo package. But Booker's already been here for uh for close to two years, and mm-hmm. he's you know was the biggest guy i think you know full-time member uh to come over from wcw at that time uh he's reestablished himself in wwe and he's gotten over and i i I think the time was right i I don't think it took too much really to heat him up i think people were ready to get behind him um and i I guess you know now it's been 20 plus years removed from the sale of wcw i forget uh how how fresh those wounds still uh, were, the WCW wounds. Um, WWE taking every 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 chance they can get. They're kind of just picking at that scab, um, you know, picking on WCW a little bit more. Uh, so you would think like two years after the sale, uh, they'd be over it, but not at all. Yeah, and, and to that point too, I would say watching this era, I think by this point he doesn't, to me at least, um, he doesn't feel like a WCW guy anymore. No. Like I feel like by this point, Anybody who survived the invasion and stuff like Booker and, you know, Lance Storm and all these guys, they don't, to me, it's not like the first thing I think of. Like, they don't stick out with that kind of, like, they don't feel like WCW guys anymore. I think by this point, Booker feels like a WWE guy. Yeah, 100%. So, um, but we'll dive in. So we get, as we have gotten throughout the show, a a really well done video package, like detailed shows you everything. Um, they even bring in some things that weren't really shown on TV. Like they show Booker T's mugshot because obviously that was part of the build to this. And then the other side, which is of course, Triple H like running him down saying he's not worthy, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so we're fourth from the top. We should mention, right? We still have three matches after this. So, not even getting the top billing on the Raw side, which is not a surprise given, you know, what the top feud on Raw is, the names involved. But, you know, pretty definitely, which has been the trend in the Triple H run, kind of a mid, uh, like middle of the show uh, world title match here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, we get the, so they both come out uh, down the long ramp. We get a stare down. Booker T says, uh, I know we both, we talked about this before the pod, but Booker T, we get a nice close up. And as they do the stare down, he says, your punk ass is in trouble. Which is, uh, <laughs> I dug that. Uh, and to what we just said, we have JR and King crapping on WCW, like both of them, not just King because he's the heel, but even JR says some comment about like, uh, he's like, yeah, I worked there. It was a mess. So like to your point, like they're still, even JR, who's supposed to kind of be on Booker T's side and should maybe be like, Maybe saying that WCW had, you know, was legitimate at one point. He even craps on him. So it's what it is. Mm-hmm. But I did enjoy Booker T. Like you said, he comes in with a lot of swag. Like he's very, he's very confident. Like he just got the pin on Triple H. He's in his face. He doesn't seem intimidated, which I think is a good way to approach this. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And then we, uh, we get into the match. So we start with like a strike exchange. Booker's laying in some chops. I mean, some pretty heavy strikes by Booker early. Like he's got a nice advantage. Uh, Triple H goes up top for some reason. Even JR mentions that that's a strange move. And uh, this whole sequence is just odd to me. Like between these two, like Triple H goes up top, which is out of, out of character. And then Booker T, the way he gets him in reverse, he does like a top rope arm drag. Just a very like not not a sequence I would have expected within the first like two minutes of these two going at it. Uh mm-hmm. 
<laughs> Any thoughts on that sequence? Did that stand out to you, Marcus? Uh, it did. I also noticed um, going back to uh, back in, uh, I think, mm-hmm. the October, the No Mercy show that I was on, um, Triple H was bumping early for Kane Strikes. And it's the same thing here. Like, what is up with this dude uh, for being, quote unquote, the best wrestler on the roster? Um, yeah, bumping early on strikes is just a weird thing. It, it sticks out. And I'm like, why is he doing that? Um, and yeah, getting to the top rope arm drag. Um, Maybe something I'd expect from Booker T in 1997, um, <laughs> you know, and he's put on some more size and there's he's accrued a couple more injuries uh, in the, the years. But even from 2003 Booker T, I was I was shocked to see that sequence. And yeah, why is Triple H going to the, the top rope? He does that a couple of times in this match. He kind of goes to the top on character or top or middle rope uncharacteristically. Right. So Triple H can't get any momentum uh, as Booker just keeps fire on him. Booker ends up eating the ring posts. He's out on the apron. He gets flung into the ring post. And that's uh, kind of where Triple H starts to uh, settle in on his heat segment. I did like um, Booker T's energy here. It's great. He's real frenetic. Like, he looks intense. Like, he looks like he means business. But now we settle into, uh, you know, our typical Triple H. I call it the staring at the ground offense where he kind of does a move, kind of stares for a while, goes, uh, you know, <laughs> the cerebral approach, as they say. Mm-hmm. And just, like, after watching so many, just some of the most boring – like, it's not good whenever, like, when he takes over, like, I have the tendency to want to just, like, look at my phone or something. Like, I, he starts his heat sequence on Booker and, like, his, like, heel control. And I'm just like, all right, so that's a few minutes I can, like, kind of check my brain off because I know, like, I just accustomed to nothing happening. Like, nothing really of, of notes going to happen. I compared it to, like, like, they almost make it seem like he's, like, a Dean Malenko or something. But, like, in slow motion and, like, none of the... No real interesting moves either, but that's how they try and portray it. Like he's just this assassin, if you will. Yeah, it's 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 non engaging work. Mm-hmm. Agree, very much so. Uh, but Booker T is doing his best to sell it. I will say, like um, when he gets clothesline the corner, he has like a nice bounce. He's trying to give this some energy to his credit. Mm-hmm. Uh, he gets a DDT on trips to get a little bit of a breather, but Triple H cuts off the comeback with the high knee. Booker levels him with a sidekick as, again, Triple H goes up to the, uh, not the top rope, but the middle rope, which I thought that was a pretty cool spot, though, even though it is odd that he would, Triple H would be going up top again, but I thought the sidekick was pretty good. Triple H dodges the scissors kick, and Booker takes a nasty spill to the outside. He kind of, his leg comes down off the scissors kick and hits the top rope, and he kind of, so again, he's, Booker is doing his best to try and make some of these spots, like, interesting and give this some, you know, I don't know. Just give it some character, I guess you could say. But uh, he ends up, uh, Flair goes after him outside, drops the knee on the steps. And then we get the uh, the Indian Deathlock, Marcus, which. Uh, oh, boy. Right. JR's losing it. He said this hasn't been used in 10 years, which. So I guess the last time we saw it was in 1993, which seems like a random time to see this. But uh, I will admit it is kind of a cool move. But, you know, it is. It's kind of random. I don't know. We, any thoughts yeah. on this uh, monumentous Indian Deathlock? Yeah, I know Triple H used it when he was in WCW. Um, it's kind of like a submission finish. Uh, so it was, it was cool to see him like bring it uh, back out in that aspect. And also, again, kind of looked like a very, very much so like an underlying WCW theme. Here is Triple H, this guy who left WCW mm-hmm. in uh, you know January of 1995, and uh, you know left for more opportunity. Well, now. Uh, was it eight years later or so? Uh, WCW's uh, sold. He's a top guy in the in the WWE. He set out to do everything he wanted to do, um, and he's basically with their big gold belt, beating their best guy 
uh, and he's getting to do his uh, his old WCW finisher halfway through the match. Um, yeah, last time I heard Jim Ross get this excited, uh, <laughs> Doctor Death Steve Williams was in a match. I mean, <laughs> he is he is sauced up. Uh, hashtag sauce it uh, the, <laughs> the, the India Deathlock. I mean, he is he is in his world. Um, yeah, you would have thought that Triple H was uh, Missy Hyatt with the loaded Gucci bag in 1987 uh, UWF <laughs> with, the, with the way Jim Ross was selling it. See, I didn't even know that he used to use. see. That would have been nice for a commentary to point that out. But I guess we want to get. I guess we don't want to be talking about WCW the details of it. But uh, yeah, they that, sucked, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like it seemed like though, and like there's a different era of Jim Ross where I feel like he would have went straight to that, like mentioned that, like more, I guess like professorial Jim Ross of like the '90s, like the mid '90s. But anyway, yeah, Jim Ross <laughs> like '96, '97 would have mentioned that absolutely. Right, uh, but he doesn't. But I'm glad you told me because I didn't even know that. That's a good little thread. But uh, book finally gets the ropes and escapes uh, that hole. And so at this point, it's kind of odd because we're like 15 minutes into the match and now we're starting to do like the limb work stuff. So Booker T starts uh, kind of selling the leg. He gets kicked into the ref. But um, again, kind of a fake out ref bump here because like you think Nick Patrick going down. So another WCW thread there for you, Marcus. Uh, I noticed that too, is that uh, we get Nick Patrick as the ref. Uh, mm-hmm. But he recovers quickly. Like he just, it kind of ends up being nothing. Like he gets slammed in the corner, but he just kind of, Pops right back up. It doesn't really matter in the match. But uh, flying elbow from Booker T. So he's finally starting to, uh, to fire up. The crowd has been, you know, it's not really been building throughout this. Uh, but he finally hits the scissors kick. That wakes up the crowd. But he can't capitalize because he's um, his knee is um, he's ailing from the knee. He goes up top and does the it kind of looks like the bookend. But it's a little bit uh doesn't um like you said a moment ago it's not the what he used to hit in like 97 98 it's a little slower it, but he does um everybody all these guys that triple h faces like must want to like subconsciously like destroy his face because like he almost does kind of like how rvd crushed his throat like he lands right on his face with the uh <laughs> with the leg drop um so uh and jr's even saying it like um on commentary but uh even to he says some uh comment like this is your softball league of memphis came which i thought was <laughs> a good random line uh but that is again not enough to take out triple h as flair saves him by putting his foot on the rope um and then they both kind of stumble around for a few minutes uh kind of trying to almost like it would be like a you know like the standing count and then Triple H kind of nowhere slowly sets him up and gets uh, like a desperation pedigree. We now get to the famous spot where they're both on the ground and then eventually Triple H crawls over after. So let's try and ballpark. Realistically, like w- how long is this? Like 15 seconds? Is it longer? Oh. Am I- <laughs> it- <laughs> uh, we're both opportunists, as I like to say. We could set the over under. It's a little unfair yes. of me because I actually set a uh, stopwatch to it. Okay, um, good. <laughs> but it was, I even gave like a two second buffer for like the mm-hmm. pedigree, the cell, and then like hit the, hit the clock. Um, it was over 25 seconds. Oh my goodness. See, this is me again, the 15 seconds. See, I'm trying to, I'm, I'm always <laughs> trying to like, Try to be like, you know, maybe this triple A stuff is not as bad as I remember, but 25 seconds. Good goodness. So, yeah, I was uh, drastically under the real mark. Uh, and so he gets that, puts the hand on him one, two, three. That's the end. anticlimactic fit. So, that was the thing with me, too. Like, aside from the delay and what that does for Brooke and everything, I just thought it was a lame finish in general, like lame mm-hmm. and anticlimactic. Like, 
to me, I don't think the crowd was feeling like this was going to be the end of it. They felt like, okay, now we're getting into like the, you know, like the third act. Now both guys are really reeling. Triple H gets a pedigree. You're thinking if this is any, you know, if this is any face that they really believe in after that delay, they would do like the, oh, he kicked out at two and seven eighths or whatever. But instead we just get this kind of like flat fart of a finish <laughs> instead. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of structured. The whole match is kind of structured like a uh, like a flare match, um, where you have almost your your act one and and beginning of act two is almost I'd say non consequential, but it's just like some solid back and forth wrestling, and then you get to uh, the big moment of the match, which in this match would have been flare with the uh, the knee crusher on the outside onto the ring steps, and that really starts like your storytelling and where you're really trying to get to in act two and and uh, pay that off in act three. But Triple H doesn't have the cachet that Ric Flair does. He doesn't have the bumps and the moments mm-hmm. that everybody can expect from Ric Flair and want to see. Like Triple H doesn't have the uh, the flare flop, right? Uh, he doesn't have the up and over in the corner. Uh, or I guess he could have used the uh, the the Harley race bump. Um, but he's it's still not something you expect to see in almost every Triple H match. Um, so he just doesn't have these. Uh, these tools that Ric Flair does that people know uh, and expect, but also like want to see and are entertaining. He doesn't have that to, to pull off the style of matchup. Uh, and then you do, um, you know, this legwork in the, the the second half of the match. And I'm not saying you always have to pay it off. And mm-hmm. the legwork did kind of play into the finish, but I don't know. I just think you got to do better than, than what they did for that finish. Um, and if you're going to tell the story of, like, wrestler versus, you know, street fighter, um, which Booker T is, you know, is far from just a street fighter, uh, you know, I think Booker T needs to be up a lot more. Like, this should have been probably like a 70-30 a split match in favor of Booker T. He should have been on the offensive a lot more, I think. Um, and then when you get your pedigree finish, you actually get, like that anger from the crowd you know this guy got beat up the whole entire match and he happens to hit his move uh you know because of some cheating earlier on in the match or whatever and you know that's enough to get it done instead you just have triple h out wrestling booker t for 20 plus minutes and outside of a flu a few uh blips from booker t uh he just kind of slowly uh eats him alive um and it's not entertaining so um i guess i'll give my match grade here um i went two and three quarters um again i don't know if like triple h coming out looking like barney the pharmaceutical dinosaur in the purple if that <laughs> like threw me off <laughs> if like i expect when i saw booker t and he's in the all white and i'm like okay like this guy's got to be world champ um trying to adjust expectations um uh, yeah it just it, it it's it's mechanically it's good um now, I don't know, there's a couple of small things with Triple H, like, I don't know, like when Booker T does the Harlem hangover off the top, the big leg drop, like Triple H rolls into it as opposed to like rolling away from it, which would have saved his face a lot more. <laughs> um, there, Yeah, it's just a couple of things. It's just kind of weird seeing from uh, from Triple H, who's supposed to be like this wrestler's wrestler at the time. Um, and I mean, yeah, uh, hitting the pedigree where RIP Booker T is still laid out incapacitated in the middle of safeco field uh t-mobile park um <laughs> and you know set the business back uh in race relations allegedly by how many years uh quite a few so uh 
it's something about this Triple H post quad tear NWA tribute style run match is just these matches are all missing a gear for me. Like they're stuck mm-hmm. in second gear. Um, and right when they should be hitting another gear, it's like, okay, like there's the pedigree one, two, three. Mm-hmm. No, I'm right there with you. Uh, good call too. I think I called the book end earlier. Harlem hangover, my bad. But uh, no, I'm right there with you. I have the exact same rating, two and three quarters. Okay. So we are we're locked in. Yeah, the thing to me, like you mentioned, like a flare match, and it's interesting because to me, um, I don't know if you'd agree, but the match before this and the match that comes after this both do an awesome job of like building, like the drama builds in both of these matches in different ways. They work totally differently. But in both of the matches, in the in the Sean and Jericho match, and then in the Hogan, um, the Hogan Vince match, like there's this drama building throughout that I think is just missing here. Like you said, there's like no, there's no like rhythm to it. There's no mm-hmm. like you don't feel the crowd getting into it. You don't feel the momentum, and that's what's missing that makes it different. Like a flare match, a really awesome like peak flare match has that. Like it had like you said the three action, you just feel it building and building. But this, it doesn't. Like, there's not enough stuff to keep you engaged. Like, when Triple H is on top and stuff. And Booker's, like I said, Booker's doing his best to kind of, you know, he takes the nasty bump to the outside of the scissors kick, like, throwing things in here. But he can only work what he's given. And there's just not, like, it doesn't reach any kind of satisfying conclusion. Even if he was going to lose, I feel like we haven't built to some, like, you know, this baby face has been fighting for 20 minutes and then he finally gets screwed over in the end. But like he fought like Jr. and all are trying to sell it as this like epic. And it's just it's not. I mean, it's fine. It's a totally OK match, but it's it's definitely not an epic. You don't feel like the emotion at the end of like it's so flat that you don't really feel like, oh, Booker got screwed over. It's like oh, he, he lost to Triple H like everybody. And then you don't, you definitely obviously don't get the triumphant, like he fought the whole time and he finally pulls it out. You get nothing. There's no, yep. like, I mean, you're bummed at the end because it just seems like, you know, that it's implied now that all this Triple H stuff that he said, all the rhetoric he used in the, in the build is kind it's kind of implied that he, he wasn't wrong because I don't think they did enough to really show Booker getting screwed here. Like I know Flair got involved a couple of times, but it wasn't like a, you know, insane, overbooked craziness finish. So it's like, to me, you don't get anything. There's like no catharsis at the end. Good. Like him getting screwed or the triumphant win. It's just kind of like you said, it's just pedigree, wham, one, two, three. Like the crowd is just kind of like flat. Cause like, okay, well that happened. There's just no momentum to it, you know? No, right. Yeah. There's no rhythm. I do agree. The match before this and the match after this are like master classes in, in like timing. Mm-hmm. Um, and gear shifting in this match just didn't have that and uh, to look up and down this card and you know spoiler alerts for um, and people who haven't watched this in a while or don't remember it or haven't seen it but like you're not gonna have um, a heel finish for the rest of the night or earlier in the night where somebody's using like interference over the top and like and the belt and this and that then like it takes all of that to beat Booker T like Go all the way like NWA style mm-hmm. overbooking, and even though you're gonna have some overbooking in your next match, that's WWE overbooking, and those are two mm-hmm. completely different styles. And you can do both of them, and they will feel completely different. Plus, it's WrestleMania, uh, as mm-hmm. as as Jerry Lawler noted uh, six times <laughs> in this match. It's WrestleMania. It's WrestleMania, Jr. It's WrestleMania, Jr. 
Right, like, give me something in the end where I, like, after this, honestly, I'm just like, okay, well, I guess this is, like, the feud's over. There's nowhere else. (laughs) You know, like, all of these, like, we've talked about, like, RVD, like, all of them, it's kind of the same thing, where you just kind of like, well, I guess we can continue this, but you're not giving me a whole lot here that makes me want to see it continue, because, yeah, it just seems, it's also flat. I just keep saying, because that's just the way you, like, I can't call it bad, but it's definitely not, it's just kind of there. It's just, it's, it's mid as the kids say. <laughs> it, it is. And, uh, you know, I will say you won't find a match this bad that goes this long on WrestleMania 17. <laughs> right. So, <laughs> um, we'll look uh, forward you? to the, um, uh, no, no, you won't. <laughs> uh, I'll have to rewatch, but I will say this is, you know, as, as I'm thinking, as I, I'm getting through, then the show, and I have to think about how I'm going to rate it. It's going to be, I mean, to me, this is going to be like looking through it. Like I'll have to think back through the whole show, but to me, this is definitely what would hold this show back the most as far as like the overall rating, because this is not, I mean, it's a world title match. Yeah. I know this, you know, this world title hasn't been positioned as like main event since triple H got it. But I mean, it is still like, you know, presented as kind of like a main eventish match on this show. So. Oh, yeah. I mean, they presented this card with the quadruple main event. I mean, and this is mm-hmm. that that first square. So, um, yeah, I, it should carry a little bit of extra weight, I think, in uh, your overall compa- uh, overall rating of the show and comparisons to uh, other great WrestleManias right. and greater WrestleManias. Of course. Well, and also, <laughs> uh, real no quick, question. I'm the uh, opposite of Logan. Uh, I love me a, a good uh, crooked ramp, please. Uh Give give me all of the uh, snake. <laughs> give me snake all the ramp. snake style. Uh, you know whatever whatever other shapes I can get in uh, an entrance way. Give it to me. Very well. Yep. So uh, again, and I, I say it every time. I'm like always like a lot of the stuff has been I find in this era like um, the next match I'm gonna talk about. Like a lot of people were kind of over Hogan. A lot of people were over Vince. I think by this point in 2003, but I think time has been kinder to that if you kind of look back without the baggage people had at that time but this is just one of those things where i think a lot of the critiques of triple h from the time were like i don't know the more i keep watching this stuff there it's it's kind of valid and this is another example of it just kind of shaking out in that way again so but fortunately Mm -hmm. well thanks for chatting with me about it marcus um and i will surely have you on the pod soon enough all right, look Again. forward to it, and uh, enjoy the rest of uh, one of the greatest WrestleManias of all time, not the greatest. Very well. All right, so we'll get fired up for our next one, the big, the battle of uh, who created WrestleMania. We'll be next. Fourth, 1984, the day Hulkamania was born. Created you and you turn your back on me. You walk out of 
guilty on all counts. Hulk Hogan testified against his former boss. Hogan, quite frankly, is a coward. And there have been many, many times through our illustrious long association together that I have thought about what would happen. What would happen in a fight with Vince McMahon and Hulk Hogan? After WrestleMania is over, you will know who the better man is. I created Hulkamania, and by God, at WrestleMania, I'm gonna kill it. You better start training. You better start eating your vitamins, and you better start saying your damn prayers, McMahon. with his head held high while the other will suffer a defeat so devastating that he might, and in Hogan's case, would end his career. Ladies and gentlemen, a match that is 20 years of the making. This is going to be a fight like you've never seen before. Right, so to, to um, cover this match that has been 30 years in the making, I am, well, maybe 20 years in the timeline I'm in. Anyway, um, we're going to cover Hogan Vince. And to cover this fantastic, ridiculous match, I brought in uh, two guests, my uh, compatriots on uh, PTB NXT, Jennifer Smith and Tim Capel. Are you guys ready for Hogan Vince? So ready. Mm. Can't wait. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, one of the better <laughs> matches from, some would say, the best WrestleMania. We'll see. Uh, just going to put the disclaimer out as as we continue through the show that um, this podcast does not endorse one side or the other of the WrestleMania 19 versus 17 uh, debate. Mm. Uh, I've received enough hate mail for part one. So wanna... I'm, I'm sure it's been referenced a few times during the show. I mean, somebody really should get to the bottom of that one day. Right. So I should have podcast. settled it once and for all. Um, but yeah, the build for this has been great. The video package I thought was really well done as we, we head into this. Uh, like they, they even in the video package showed the uh, steroid trial footage, which I thought was a nice pull, like showed Vince in his neck mm-hmm. brace and Hogan going to testify. Um, so the whole build for this real quick, before we start getting into the match, um, so, so Tim, like I know you are admittedly not the biggest um, '80s wrestling fan um, compared to most. That that's a time that most people are. Um, it's near and dear, at least the WWE well, and '80s stuff. Yes, I, was, I would say with the caveat, a WWF '80s wrestling fan. I, I love me some NWA, WCW '80s wrestling. So, but but with that, does this did the build to this still connect with you, despite that it is kind of based on a lot of it is about, you know, 80s WWE, Hogan and Vince, and how they kind of made the WWE machine that is still connect mm-hmm. with you, despite it kind of being based a lot on their 80s history? Um, I'm going to say yes and no. Uh, like, I didn't have a lot of personal connection or, or stakes wrapped up in this feud, um, just because I, I don't really have strong personal feelings about the Federation era, the Hogan era of WWF. Um, But I was able to get invested in the storyline as it played out 
on, you know, 2003, I guess, largely on SmackDown. Um, I mean, the contract signing where Vince goes berserk and stabs Hogan <laughs> in the head with the pen, signs his name <laughs> in blood. That's that's pretty spectacular. I mean, there's lots of great Vince stuff that I think sort of carries this for me. Um, I think we're all kind of low-key fans of... 2003 Vince McMahon when he really was at his most demonic I think um because he could still he was still like he was probably at his most jacked actually as far as like being yoked out of his mind and having the ridiculous physique um and he was also doing just the most perverted character work ever um so that was that was a real treat throughout 2003 but, um, yeah, this was kind of a, a little bit of a hard sell for me where I got, I would say, more and more into it as it went. It's the type of thing that it doesn't lend itself to really organic storytelling, right? Like, you can do you can do Austin McMahon pretty easily. Like, they're just such polar opposites. And, you know, Stone Cold is like this Gen X counterculture figure. Of course, he's going to clash with the boss in the ivory tower. But I mean, when you look at Hulk Hogan, you think of him as a company guy, right? Like why would he even be feuding with Vince McMahon? If anything, he'd be like, yeah, you know, the brother, this is a man who helped make me like, he'd kind of probably be on board with a lot of stuff. Vince is saying, um, when you sit down and really think about it logically, but of course they want to get a feud out of this. And, uh, you know, they've, they've got to pop that, that WrestleMania buy rate. And I don't know, we can maybe get into this a little bit more as we go, Jake. But I feel like this match started to get the lion's share of the promotion going into the pay-per-view. Where they maybe didn't have confidence in the main event on paper. You know, uh, Angle Lesnar. And so started leaning on that whole, oh, well, it's really... Uh, a triple main event here for WrestleMania 19. And this was uh, getting most of the attention, I feel like, in the mainstream media. Uh, which makes, I mean, it's Hulk Hogan, it's Vince McMahon. It makes a lot of sense. But as a wrestling fan, you're sort of like, is this going to main event the show? Like, <laughs> I definitely had that thought going into this. I think it was given like the most... <laughs> put it this way, the most varied build, like they put the most into it. I feel like between, you know, the, the contract sign you talked about where, where he stabs Hogan with the pen, makes him sign in blood. You have the, uh, the Vince creepy backstage interview with the odd background where it closed up, it closed in on his face. You had Hogan <laughs> cutting a pretty good promo. You have all the like insets where you have like mean gene and Jesse Ventura and all these people giving their yeah. opinions on it. So they really tried to go all They're out. They're going just, big for this. Yeah. Right. Where a lot of the, for some of the feuds we've seen, even for like bigger matches, they really didn't honestly get cooking with the feud until like a week before the show. Honestly, mm-hmm. I didn't think they really got to the the crux of the feud where this one's been going. I mean, honestly, it's been building since like 2002, like around the summer before Hogan left. So, um, mm-hmm. but uh, Jenny, were you digging this? The video package, the whole deal, Hogan getting uh, stabbed in the face. Uh, hell yeah, I was. Perverted <laughs> character work is my favorite kind of character work. When it, especially when it comes to Vince McMahon. I mean, the shit is epic. And they have all these years of stuff to draw on. Like, you know, going back, what, 30 years, I guess? Um, so I, there's 
there's plenty to mine there. And I feel like they did a really good job at going through the history. Um, the pull from the trial is really good. Because you can just pull on all these old wounds, right? Mm-hmm. And just build up on all these perceived, you know, wrongs uh, on both their sides. So to me, that's extremely compelling, especially given that I don't really care much for Hogan. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I, it's it's an odd depth to him that really comes across in the match, surprisingly. Yeah, and the build, too, he's come off as fairly human by Hogan's standards. Mm-hmm. Like, his promos yeah. have sounded like yeah. a person talking, like, about something in real life. Not just, like, he, he, he did a good job of not just falling back on his Hoganisms, I found in this. Like, right. they've done a good job of making it real personal. Even when they had the promo with each other where they're, like, cutting each other off, I thought was really good. Like, it felt like two people naturally having, like, a heated argument. And, uh, and yeah, you have the NWO stuff, like, well, the WCW, mm-hmm. I should say, like, him leaving to go to WCW, mm-hmm. which, again, like you said, Jenny, these wounds that in in real life, I'm sure Vince was furious about. So, right. Um, so, you have all that. But the video package sort of. is great. I at mean, car- mm-hmm. it, it's one of those, like, it's like you can take the facts of what happened and very easily construct a story out of it. Like there's a lot of mm-hmm. smoke and mirrors here that I, I mm-hmm. think when you put a slick mm-hmm. video package behind it, it does make it seem like there's this epic feud where really, I mean, I, I can't imagine there's really that much animosity between Vince and Hogan, um, especially oh, by no. 2003. Right, right. Um, by this point. Which makes it more yeah, they, they certainly yeah. had their moments of, you know, uh, not being on the same page business wise, but and I know Vince kind of blamed Hogan for the whole lawsuit situation, but I don't know. I, I feel like maybe he's, um, it, it's, it's all water under the bridge now, but, um, you can, you can construct a pretty compelling story out of that. And they do draw on that in a, in a decent way, especially as highlighted in that, in that video package, as Jenny was talking about. Right. I think you could buy that. Like Vince McMahon, the human is probably over it. But Mr. McMahon, the character, being the or, yeah, uh, the, being the demo- uh, demonic, uh, perverted character, pervert. is mm-hmm. um, is not over it. So, uh, but so they both come out. You mentioned Tim already, but Vince, I had the same note. He is juiced up. His shoulders oh, are ridiculous. Like <laughs> out of All his of them mind, is. out <laughs> like, of his mind, and out of his skin. But I felt the shoulders, like I felt like his upper. He's like a triangle, like an upside down triangle. He looks like ridiculous. an evil triangle. Yes. And I always love the evil black triangle. <laughs> evil triangle. The upside down. Somebody evil said triangle. that about um oh god, it was some old Robert Mitchum movie where he like he he plays um <laughs> kind of this psychopath and he and he's like shirtless in one scene and they're like, Oh, he looked like an evil triangle. I'm trying to remember the reference, but <laughs> Vince definitely has that going on. Kind of that guy looks like so, Robert Mitchum in a way. So impressive though. Just like mm-hmm. with his age and everything, I don't know. Just oh my god! I mean, he is incredible. as he's probably bigger than Hogan here. I mean, oh he is. It's it's right. insane. and Hogan oh, does not well, look he's... bad in this match. I mean, he you know he's no spring thick. chicken, but he still looks Hulk no, Hogan looks still thick. looks like the Hulk Hogan you think of when you think mm-hmm. of Hulk Hogan the character. And I think it helps. It's why they can actually have him do matches like this, and it doesn't seem like. Yes. Ridiculous. Like when they would try out like scrawny ass Eric Bischoff in these matches. Oh, yeah. It's like you don't you don't really <laughs> buy it. But like Vince is so juiced that you kinda you could buy that he could maybe hang. 
I love his yep. black jeans too, the black dad jeans. It's like such yes. the perfect like ultimate like old dad getting in a fight. Like <laughs> yes, like, like it's amazing. Um, Your dad's about to whip somebody's ass after yeah, like, yeah. crossing him <laughs> in the neighborhood. Like he looks like he just came out the garage, like work on the car, and his. So I was gonna the, say that too. Yeah, he was lifting yeah. weights in the garage and came mm-hmm. out. Right, because the oil won't stain the black pants. Okay, just work on the car. <laughs> hey, grease on those bad boys, but. Uh, so we, we finally, they start pretty, pretty quickly. I was sort of shocked. You'd think they might stall a while, but they kind of get right to it. Vince slaps him in the face and then Hogan starts hammering him. I love, um, I couldn't believe Vince took an Irish whip, like Vince doing an Irish whip. It's just ridiculous. Like going off the ropes. He's so wooden. It's amazing. Uh, but Vince takes over we get like, um, we get some, uh, like Vince Harden here as he starts working over the shoulder. Like, uh, he puts. Puts Hogan in the corner, does like the Brock shoulder ram thing in the corner. He does a hammer lock that looks, you know, not ideal for Vince to be working a hammer lock. Uh, but I guess I, so this is, I'll ask y'all as we get to this first, like he does a test of strength with Hogan. Hogan mm. finally comes. And then we kind of, like this whole first portion is a little bit more of a, as much as we could say, like a standard wrestling thing. And like I said, it's a lot of Vince working the shoulder and then we go outside the ring. But what did y'all think of this first part? Because I could see part of me was like, I mean, I get it. They wanted to have kind of just feel it out a bit before they get to the craziness. But I almost would have wished they would have just like, like, it's fine, y'all. It's Vince Hogan. Like, we don't even, we don't need Vince doing a hammer lock. Just start doing insanity. I don't know. What do you guys think? I I kind of enjoyed it because it felt sort of like a, like a throwback to some old MSGs or something like mm. that. You know, like a, like a sort of easy warm up part of the match it just felt very old school and mm-hmm. throwback yeah i think you said it perfectly jimmy jenny jimmy jesus christ um <laughs> this this very much feels like a just an 80s tribute act in this first mm-hmm. five minutes mm-hmm. it just feels like that 80s hogan match where he's kind of getting worked over by the heel of the week and in this case that heel is being played by vince mcmahon who also is having the time of his life being able to just cosplay as um, not just a, a garbagey hardcore wrestler, but like as a Matt wrestler, which, you know, he, he is not something he does, but I, I have a feeling he was getting a real kick out of it. Right. Work, working over the body part, the Vince yeah, doing work. A test of strength and just all this, you know, all this crap that, that he sees guys do and he knows, is such a dated style, but he probably still marks out for. I, I see Vince being very into that. Right, um, but from there we get into um, the insanity. So we go outside. Vince gets the chair. He misses. He gets thrown to the post. So he's immediately bleeding. Hogan just starts wearing his ass out. And then in the first way, this is I feel like the point where the match just is like, all right, this is now we're getting cooking. Where Vince mm-hmm. ducks the chair shot and Hugo Savinovich just takes it straight to the dome. Oh my god. <laughs> Brutal chair shot it's to Hugo. So <laughs> he just falls <laughs> like the fucking board. He's just he just <laughs> Talk about taking one for the team. I mean Oh my God, bless his heart. I want to know like this has got to be a Vince idea. Have you go take the chair? Yeah. Like, hey, pal, I know you guys bled where you worked. Uh... Idea. <laughs> and plus, I mean, as intense as a person Vince is, and that's your boss, like he's very intimidating. So it's not like you can really right. puss out on it. Right. Yeah, you just gotta, you gotta go I mean, I'm not saying that's right. I mean, like morally <laughs> that's pretty reprehensible, but 
I do have a feeling that's what it was, where he goes just like, well, okay, here we go. <laughs> I like Jenny's version of Hugo. It's, it's like this huge WrestleMania, like like you said, Tim, maybe the most promoted one. He just goes, Vince, Vince can I... <laughs> Like, Why don't you work me into the match? Well, I'll take a chair shot. <laughs> yeah. I would like you to hit me as hard as you can in the fucking Look, face, sir. It's it's not enough that you break our announce table. You do that every show. Don't yeah. you want to do something special for this match? Like, presumably, he's got the rest of the show to call after this. Like, right? like JR just getting, like, a, doing a blade job and, like, there's an hour left. Yes. Does anybody um, ever, like, reference it again, I guess? Later on, can't I don't know because it it gets very weird after this match. So they just right. forget about poor Hugo. <laughs> yeah, I guess they just God. put in his replacement, or the guy had to yeah. go solo. His partner went solo. I don't know. Yep. Um, but Vince and Bus Hogan open with a chair, so they're both bleeding. Vincent gets a ladder for some reason. Uh, he starts to climb it. Hogan pulls him down. And then uh, Vince gets the advantage again. He puts the ladder between the two announce tables, uh, puts Hogan on it. He mocks Hogan doing the the um, the ear pose, and then he does a. I put in my notes leg drop in quotation marks because yeah. it's almost like he looks like he like slipped on a banana peel and just kind of yeah. fell. <laughs> it's amazing, just like slips off the ladder and like. Uh, but to his credit, like the table uh, bursts magnificently. He hits mm-hmm. it yeah. pretty well, but it's just like he doesn't get any like vertical leap really. He just kind of like slides no, off. And, no. He's like, like he's trying to land softly off a fucking ladder. Well, onto plus his his mobility is is so right. limited that, mm-hmm. I mean, he's always had the Vince McMahon walk, but I, I think it's even more pronounced the the more roided up he is. Right, and like I mean, he's he's just kind of I don't want to say waddling um, out to the ring for his for his entrance, but I mean he's. You know, there's more than just him playing up that that swagger thing that he does. Like he's yeah. he's having a hard time extending one seem. leg in front of the other, <laughs> and to come off that ladder when he can't even really lift his legs in front of his body, it's it's going to be a little bit janky. And uh, yeah. Alabama, I, I don't know. Jam, I guess I'm surprised, <laughs> but also weirdly graceful. Well, yeah. Weirdly uh, graceful. What to say? Weirdly effective. Yeah. Yes. Um. Works. I mean, good on him. He he gets to connect on them. Usually, you would think that would be a spot that he would miss, right? Like that mm-hmm. Hogan would get up and move and Vince would wipe out and be humiliated. Because he always does those, like, humiliation big spots <laughs> in mm-hmm. his matches. But um, he's, like, he's getting some shine here in this one. Yeah, so he gets his big uh, <laughs> uh, Jeff Hardy bump here. There's blood everywhere. Like at one point, Vince is leaning over the remnants of the announce table. And there's blood just pooling up on the on the announce table. I love here too. Like the uh, the medics come to get Hugo and Taz is. I've covered throughout as I've been covering the show. Taz is just on another level. He's upset yes. that they're helping Hugo. He's like, a, he's like, what? Vincent, Vincent Hogan are right there. Why don't he help them? And Cole's like, well, I mean, why do they need help? They're still in the match. Like, like he doesn't want them what to talk for you. Taz is so um, good. So good. Jesus. I think he also called him some like Hugo Zadinovich or some insane name. <laughs> I don't think he said his name correctly. He's like, is that what his name is? Uh, uh, they finally... la vista, amigo. <laughs> buries his international colleague. <laughs> Who's been the one that's injured? 
this man who's Jeez. done nothing and just gotten blasted right. in the head with a chair and is now hemorrhaging in front of him. Oh, Hugo de Benabish is, uh, is no, all yeah, the, not like, the worst for wear here. They're, they're getting him out here on a stretcher call. Right, he wants the medics to check on Vince while Hugo bleeds out. Like, who had no, who had no, uh, like, was that supposed to be involved at all in the match? No. Um, so we go back to the ring now. They roll back into the ring. Uh, Vince goes for the um, goes for a pin. Hogan kicks out. Uh, Vince goes outside the ring, and this is where we get the iconic shot of the of bloody Vince rising up, like uh, like uh, the Shining with the pipe with the blood dripping down his face. Uh, All time great shot. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, he goes in, but Hogan's able to avoid the pipe shot by hitting Vince in the balls, and then. <laughs> In a b- black, um, like, overcoat thing, we then reveal Roddy Piper is here. Uh, a very portly Roddy Piper, I should say. Mm. Uh, and so the whole controversy here at the, on on the commentary is like, who's he going to hit? He hates both of them, which is a good angle. It's like a fun angle. Mm-hmm. That he, yeah. Yeah. So um, he ends up picking Hogan. And the, the actual shot he does, like, like you said, there's something so, like, engaging about all – this match is so spastic and weird in every big spot. Like, like even when Piper hits him with the pipe, it's like this weird, like cartoonish. Like he bonks him on the head and just takes off running. It's so goofy. Like, <laughs> like he doesn't really lay in the shot good. He just like kabonks him on the head and then takes off. It's absurd. You almost, yeah, you almost expect like a a cartoonish like Looney Tunes sound effect <laughs> or something <laughs> once Piper shows up. I mean. Well, Piper he's, is a, a cartoon. Yeah, he's he's kind of a walking cartoon character in the first place. Yeah, good, great point. Plus, I mean, he's in that rather ridiculous black trench coat. He's, <laughs> yes. he's a His bit shirt overweight. says fats on it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's a lot. But, I, I mean, for as much just shit as that is, is happening in this match, I think... It could feel like just a collection of spots, but I think it does and and has up to this point flowed very well. I think it's been a very like actually weirdly enough like well paced match. Like it it moves at a good clip oh, yeah. where we're going from one thing to another to another, and yeah, we've got to get through a lot of spots, but um, they're making most of their the the most of their time, and um, it's a hell of an entertaining ride. Yeah, there's not a lot of downtime. Like, they don't take a whole ton of time to set up between the spots. I agree. Um, but Hogan kicks out of Piper's ridiculous pipe shot. That gets a huge crowd reaction. The crowd at this point is, like, really into this. Vince gets pissed off at all this. just throws Brian Hebder out, like, ragdolls him out the ring. He takes a great bump, just, like, flinging all over. Um, Vince starts stumbling around with the pipe like a lunatic. And then here comes the replacement ref, and it's that French fuck Sylvain Garnier. That's right. Who of course, is in the bed with Vince, screwed over Hogan already once this year. So you're thinking uh, this is going to be it for We should mention, too, Hogan's career is on the line. Didn't mention that during this. That's another angle. But uh, he, mm. he tries to win with the Hogan leg drop, of course, to, you know, just to insult to injury. But that is the final straw that gets Hogan the Hulk up. <laughs> Vince here is so good, like being scared shitless, whatever. Because, like, I think he, of all people, is going to know, like, once he hulks up, you have no shot. Like, he's like a. <laughs> He's like a, um, like he becomes like a cyborg. So Vince is just completely scared. He throws out uh, Grenier. So I also love that, 
like because earlier in the night they show like Savon Grenier, like, oh, what's he gonna be up to? He comes out and just immediately like gets his ass kicked. Like he has no he's not a factor in the match at all. The crowd is insane. And then Hogan finally finishes Vince off with not one, not two, but three of the big leg drops. And then Brian Hebner miraculously just shows back up and then counts to one, two, three. And that is this wonderful, beautiful match. And I I specifically wanted y'all to come because I know that y'all would I knew that you guys would not come in and just be like, well, this is like uh, uh, Vince doing a hammerlock. This sucks. Like, it's just a yeah. bunch of stupid garbage spots. Uh, they can't wrestle. I know that y'all would be able to look past that and look at the, the bigger picture of this match. Those were very sophisticated wrestling fans. Right. And our taste. Yeah. Yes, our, our right. tastes are not garbage at all. Um, mm-hmm. And we didn't love the blood at all. Um, right. No, right. The violence, seriously, the like, carnage. Yeah, it's, it's it's like it's hard to not call it a five star match. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, I I don't know, and I it hmm, I guess there are some who probably do uh, not call it that, but I don't know. When you watch this thing, it's it's a thing of beauty, and it, the crowd really does mm-hmm. take it to the next level. Um, cause they stay with it and they buy in to everything. They, they are a large part of this match for me is just how absolutely rabid and insane they are for Vince and Hogan. Yeah. And, and this is what Vince McMahon is so great at. He, for as much as uh, people talk about his creative genius as a promoter, um, I don't think he gets enough credit as being one of the best, if not um, the very best garbage wrestlers of all time. Um, he just knows what a match needs, right? He knows yep. what it what it's called for, what he has to do. If at, if at any point in this match it would have made sense or Vince felt like he needed to do a swanton bomb, he would have done it. <laughs> I have no mm-hmm. doubt in my mind whatsoever. As ridiculous as that sounds, as ridiculous as it would have been, he would have done it. I mean, that's just... He just gets it on that level. He knows what a match needs um, and, and knows what a match needs to achieve. So this match um, does everything it has to. It's exactly what it needs to be and then some to me. Um, I will say that of the Holy Trinity of Vince matches at WrestleMania, there's this, there's uh, Vince Shane at 17, uh, Vince uh, HBK at, what, 22? Two, um, oh, yeah. I think this one is my favorite. Weirdly, even even not being a Hogan guy, I I don't know. There's something about this, and may, may, maybe it's just my WrestleMania 19 bias, admittedly. Mm. But I just I love the drama in this. I love the violence. I love the pacing. It's got you know false finishes. <laughs> got Hogan kicking out after the. Um, the pipe shot, which I mean, a lot of people bit on, probably myself included. Um, and I, I again, I, I love the '80s tribute stuff. You know, the big matches on this. Sh- this has been said before by me and and other people as well. But when you look at kind of those four big marquee matches of of this pay per view, this premium live event, excuse me. Mm-hmm. Um. <laughs> In a way, they're all kind of tribute acts to different eras. You know, Sean talked with you, Jake, about 
um, HBK Jericho, which in a lot of ways feels like a new generation match, a really good example of of a main event style new generation match. This is sort of an 80s Hogan match, but filtered through the lens of, of the ruthless mm-hmm. aggression era. Um, you're going to see, you know, rock Austin kind of sending, sending off the attitude era. And the main event is just like, Hey, ruthless, ruthless aggression, baby. That's, that's what we're all about. Um, no nonsense, no frills, just two guys throwing bombs really. Uh, and you'll get there certainly, but I just, I feel like it, that had to be pointed out. And I don't know if that was by design, mm-hmm. but it's something that so enriches this show for me. And I guess enriches this, this match as well. Um, I just, I, for me, like if you want to star rate it, I think I would go like four and a half stars, right? Like it's certainly not off, not far off from, from five for me. Um, I just, I, I really love it. And I have come to love it more over the years. I don't know if the first time I saw this, I really appreciated it to the extent that I do now. I mean, you know, how does it get bigger than Hulk Hogan <laughs> fighting the owner of the company in this bloodbath? And that's not even your main event on the show. This is just one of many huge matches on a legitimate supercard. I mean, how many times do you think Vince has imagined being in the ring with Hogan over the years? Right. You know, right. so like, I feel like he brings a lot of that to this too. It's crazy and over the top as it is. Um, right. He's booked this in his brain for years. <laughs> Got to be a lot of wish fulfillment for him. Right. Yeah. Like you can't, I don't think you can oversell like the novelty of it being no. used to. And like, I think we're so used to seeing like everything at this point, like, you know, we saw like Stone Cold have a match again, like recently that we thought never, you know, so like mm-hmm. you just kind of yeah. become jaded that like everything is going to happen. But I think especially at this time, like you cannot, you can't discount the novelty of these two, not only being in a match together, but like doing an insane match where they're like jumping off of ladders and hitting each other with pipes and bleeding all over yeah. and right. all this shit. Like if you would have said to somebody, you know, whenever that these two would have a match, just that would have been a big deal. But not only that, now we're like, you know, doing all this insanity. It, it's amazing. It's like everything it, it lacks in like, if you could say like technical shortcomings is just like right. countered by like the facial expressions, the blood, the ridiculousness. Um, the pace is awesome. It goes by, it's like a 20 minute match and it does not feel like it is at all. Like no. it's just no. fun. And if anybody says it's overbooked, my big like I would maybe lean four and a half for the opposite. I almost feel like it's underbooked. Like I felt like they could have shortened the little eighties wrestling oh, yeah. spot in the beginning and just went straight mm-hmm. to like give me more nonsense. Give me more ridiculousness. But there could have been a million yeah, I mean, run ins. Yeah. It, it could have yeah. been it could have been like an ECW style overbrook overbooked um clusterfuck. Mm-hmm. But they actually do show some restraint. Um right. which is a crazy term to use to describe this match, but, um, you know, it, I I think again, at the time in 2003, I was a little bit still in that mode of taking, taking it for granted that Hulk Hogan was like still wrestling. Cause he had that run in 2002 and it was decent. Went away for a little while, comes back and it, and I was just of the mindset of, okay, we're going to see another, you know, 
big attraction main event style Hogan match. Um, do I care that much? Not really. But when you look at it in the context of this is one of Hogan's last matches, like it certainly in WWE, um, one of his last big moments, uh, one of the last times he can still kind of go in the ring. And just the fact that he is that, he is that guy, right? He is that legitimate superstar. And in an era today where we're kind of starved for these legitimate big-time stars, it, it just uh, takes on a whole other dimension. You're like, wow, we didn't realize we had it so good, did we? Um, so, final thoughts, Jenny? What are you going? Are you on the full Monty here? I gotta. I mean, I can't. Mm-hmm. I, I can't not five stars. Like, yeah, and mm-hmm. I, I honestly don't remember what I gave it for the summit, and I was gonna go back and listen, uh, but I did not do that. So anyway, I'm revising whatever previous uh, star rating I gave it. Yeah, I mean it's it's somewhere. It's like four and a half to five. I mean, however you want to look at it, it's either like perfect for what it's trying to do, or pretty damn close to perfect. It's it's a fantastic spectacle. And it's great. And it's in a giant stadium in front of 60,000 people, which is awesome. The whole thing is, is fantastic. But, um, well, thank you guys for coming on and talking with me about it. Um, I'm glad we could all sit here and talk about this amazing match. Me too. Thanks for having yeah. me. Yeah. So, Appreciate it. Um, so I guess I'll, um, I will, uh, <laughs> waddle up the, the ramp like Piper and continue the show <laughs> on because, uh, there's much more uh, carnage to talk about as we continue on WrestleMania 19. Seven months ago, I told my boss, Vince McMahon, to take this job and shove it. Stone Cold Steve Austin got tired of sitting on his ass at the house. And everybody said, Austin can take his ball and go home. Well, Stone Cold Steve Austin is back. And by God, there he is! And I didn't bring a ball with me. I brought a big fat can of whoop-ass. I can guarantee that I am going to raise more hell in this ring than I've ever raised in my life. Is this what we're here for, JR? The Rock said he was going to confront Stone Cold Steve Austin. Austin, do you remember the last two times you went one on one with the great one? I whipped your ass not once.
right. Uh, we are now at our semi-main event. Co-co. There's like co-co-co main events on this show. But um, our semi-main event, second from the top, we'll put it that way, is going to be Austin Rock. And joining me to discuss this monumentous match is going to be Matt Souza. What's up, Matt? Jake, always good to be here. It is an honor and a privilege to be uh, second from the top. So I've always said that about myself. Very good. Yeah, you got a, you got a big one here, uh, Matt. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of big ones on this show, but Austin Rock, the uh, the finale, the third in the trilogy, the uh, I guess the uh, it feels weird to call it the Return of the Jedi, but <laughs> uh, <laughs> the Revenge of the Sith. Uh, no, that doesn't work uh, either. John Wick Three. We'll go with that. <laughs> the John Wick Three of the Austin Rocks. But um yeah, a, a huge one, a huge one. Certainly a lot to this one in the build and you know all the backstage stuff. So um we'll get to the build first. So the build I thought has been pretty strong. I mean, this is one of those it I haven't talked about it much, but it, you have to say on these like a lot of these feuds, like especially this one, you almost you almost don't really need a lot of build. I mean it's like Austin mm-hmm. Rock. I mean the build has been pretty solid. I mean they kind of had Rock do a few little like um you know, digressions with Hurricane and stuff, but I think that was all entertaining stuff, and they never really lost the thread, and I think by the end of it, they they hit the main points they needed to, that, you know, um, you know, that this is the third one, that Rocks never beat them, Rocks heal, so that kind of adds something here, where um, I guess the first time they, they faced off, it was like Rock was heel, but Rock wasn't totally the Rock yet by that point, mm-hmm. and obviously you have 17, and now we're at the third one, and um yeah, we got Hollywood Rock. We have Austin, who had just recently returned from his hiatus of taking his ball and going home, which they actually get into in the video package, which I thought was good. Um, while we're on it, I mean, the, the video package is awesome, like all the ones on this show. Uh, you know, you have um, the beginning is just them going, like, uh, through the history of these two guys. Like I said, I, I really like them. They even show the clip of Rock cutting the promo when Austin walked out uh, talking shit about him taking his ball and going home. And then we get the epic the uh, the crack addict part of this, mm-hmm. which is the uh, the sister to the my way. I think the my way is probably. I mean, it's a high bar. The my way one is, you know, probably. I'll get you. What do you think, Matt? What would you pick? This one or my way? I mean, purely for nostalgia purposes, I'd go my way, but just because mm-hmm. I I absolutely love Mania Seventeen, and I mean, I love this show too. But uh, yeah, and look, it's both Limp Biscuit, so you really can't mm-hmm. Limp Biscuit WWE's <laughs> right. number one number one uh, band. So yeah, I mean, it, it's a fantastic video package, but I would have it probably just a notch below uh, my way. Right. Even when I watch it for this, like when it gets to the crack part of the video package. And it gets to the, uh, you know, you and me, toe to toe. Like, I legit get goosebumps. And yep. that's how I know I'm a big wrestling nerd. When you get, yep. still that gives you <laughs> legit goosebumps when you get to the crack addict uh, video package for, <laughs> for a show but, that's uh, 20 years old. <laughs> right. That's why you know you're, uh, they've got their hooks on you. But uh, so awesome, awesome video package again. It, all of it is built around not only that, that Rock has turned heel and he's been talking shit about Austin, but uh, also that. They have the whole idea that he's he's never beaten Austin in Mania. That's like his white whale. He's had everything else there is to do in wrestling but beat Austin on the big stage. Now, um, we also have the backstage part of this, which at the time, I, I don't know. I wanted to ask you this, man. We'll get into it after the match, too. But, like, did you have any inclination that this could be it for Austin? I know we were both kind of younger at the time. We were a little bit younger. So, um, like, did you at the time think that this could be it for Austin? 
I mean, at the time, no, not really. And I know, you know, uh, the rumblings of somebody uh, coming in were happening. So I thought maybe they would do that first and then uh, and then maybe he would ride off into the sunset. Mm -hmm. But here, I mean, obviously, looking back, hindsight being 2020, it does kind of look like that, you know, it could have been the end. Mm -hmm. But at the time, I don't know, because I, I mean, you had to know that he was on borrowed time with his neck and all that stuff, right? So, like, it wouldn't shock you if all of a sudden he just has one match and then the next day he says, no, I'm done, my neck is fucked. So, I mean, that wouldn't shock me, but, like, I don't know. I, I could see it, you know, hindsight being twenty twenty. But at the time, I don't know. I, I think he still had a little bit left in the tank. Uh, that was my thinking at the time. Right. And we'll see. You can kind of, again, these things are always hard because we obviously know how things go. So mm -hmm. there's, we'll get to at the end, kind of how he goes out and maybe how much that could be sort of a hint of where they were going with this. But so the backstage thing is that, so obviously as the next stuff, that's been a thing with him, despite having the surgery, his neck is pretty, um, he's got like spinal stenosis or whatever, but the night before this, apparently he spent in the hospital. Right. And I want to say it was his heart. Uh, is that what it was? Yeah, I want to say it was like either elevated heart rate or irregular heartbeat. It was something like that. Right. And so, I mean, he's a guy like in all the things that you said, like in this his career, the peaks were high. But even Austin himself, I think he said many times, like uh, he's, he always famously says, uh, you know, I was running real hard, real fast at the time. Mm -hmm. So I think all of that just kind of on his body, mentally, he I, I just think he wanted to come back at. I don't think he wanted to go out in the way he went out. So he wanted to come back and do something, mm -hmm. uh, something bigger. And so I think he just kind of gutted it out, but he's apparently in rough shape. And, uh, but was the style at the time, um, you know, <laughs> maybe in a different, if this were modern times, they would have just not let him wrestle. But, you know, between him and Kurt Angle, there's a lot of guys on the show that probably shouldn't have been in the ring, but you know, they mm -hmm. just weren't going to miss this moment. Cause that's just kind of the way the guys were wired. But so you have right. all that going on, but he, he does end up having this match. He, um, we get both entrances. Um, the rock one is really awesome. The Hollywood rock entrance is always great, but a little bit of added juice cause it's in this mania setting in the huge stadium. Um, he's looking great, uh, has all the confidence in the world and then a huge pop for Austin. Like I have to say, like, even though, you know, I don't think he's been at his peak during the build to this. I think he's been solid. I mean, he's Stone Cold Steve Austin. Um, but even here, he still gets like, I felt he got the Austin pop coming out for sure. Oh yeah, totally. I mean, you have 55,000 people just losing their fucking mind that, you know, that Austin is not only back, but he's back wrestling the rock at WrestleMania. It's a, it's a massive deal. Right. And like, I feel like when they, they do this and I think they've, you know, it's good. They've done this match now three times at mania, but I think it's good that it's been so spread out. There's always been a couple of years between them. Yep. So it doesn't feel like stale. It doesn't like when they get in the ring, it still feels like a big deal. It doesn't feel like a rehash, like two guys that are past their prime kind of thing. It feels like, you know, one more, you know, like one more showdown, like mm -hmm. it, it lives up to the, the belly, but, um, we get started. Austin goes right in with the right hands, uh, chases rock down the ramp. He's all over the announce table, throwing him everywhere. Just like good old fashioned stone cold, uh, bar brawl, just throwing rock all over into the steps. Um, and again, like I said, um, he still has the, you know, despite all his troubles, you know, being in the hospital the night before, 
I mean, you wouldn't tell by seeing him in the ring. Like he looks mm-hmm. completely on his game. Like he's got that Austin urgency that I think always brings so much juice to his matches. He's got that here. He he feels like Austin. He doesn't feel like a, a shell of himself uh, in the ring to start this off. Did you uh, do you find the same in this early going, Matt? Yeah, I mean, like you said, I mean, you wouldn't have been able that you know he spent a night in the hospital the night before i mean sure he's a little bit bigger than he was probably at his peak which i'm sure you know didn't really help the neck injuries all that much but mm-hmm. i mean and maybe he's a, a tad slower than he was like peak before the neck surgery but i mean all in all he's he's pretty much the same guy he's still he's still that stone cold for mm-hmm. sure right luckily for him like the his <laughs> You know, the draw of him has not necessarily always been his, um, you know, it's not like he was some supreme athlete that wasn't really his billing. He was just like a badass that beats people up, but he's still doing that here. Uh, I thought JR was real good here, getting over the history of the two, like the gravity of all this. Uh, He's also shitting on The Rock, saying that Austin's a wrestler. All he ever wanted to be was a wrestler, not, not an actor like Rock. So kind of bringing that aspect in. So they head back into the ring. Rock still can't get anything going until he finally lands a shot on the knee. So just kind of, um, you know, built-in psychology. Austin's, of course, wore the knee brace, like, forever. So he's got mm-hmm. that going on. Um, a little funny exchange between JR and King, where King's questioning why Austin wears the, the knee brace. And JR's like, why the hell would he wear it? What do you think, it's for decoration? Like, so <laughs> some good salty JR there. But uh, so at this point, Rock starts working the knee. He throws uh, Stone Cold on the announce table, starts slamming the knee on there. Uh, I thought good, like, aggression from Rock here. Like, he was very focused. Uh, hits him in the ring, uh, throws him in the ring post, starts knocking the leg there. You know, not anything groundbreaking, but it's they're moving at a good pace. It's not a uh, it's not slow or methodical. He's just moving through it and just beating up on the knee. Austin lands a few shots, but Rock cuts him off again. And by this point in the match, Rock is really feeling himself. You feel him starting to get his um, – he feels like he has Austin right where he wants him, so he starts to uh, kind of start to get cocky. He does the uh, the awful sharpshooter, of course, because he's working the leg. <laughs> Got to get that <laughs> terrible sharpshooter in. Uh, but he's right back to the post. Um, it would have been f- funny if he would have – the coup de grace for Rock would have been if uh, – since he's doing all this stuff on the post, he should have done the Brett. Um, the bread sharpshooter <laughs> on the post. It could have been like the Jesus. ultimate shitty sharpshooter for Rock. But, um, <laughs> um, and this is like the uh, – so this is uh, kind of what I always remember from this. But he grabs the vest. So, again, he's starting to feel himself. He grabs Austin's vest, uh, puts it on. Uh, Austin fires up, and we get the double clothesline spot where they're both on the ground. And I love this whole thing because as soon as he puts the vest on, Stone Cold just starts beating his ass. Like it was like such a bad omen. Like King's on commentary, like just take it off. It's obviously bad luck. <laughs> so I like that. Um, he gets the Thez press to a big pop, uh, but The Rock um, knocks him down and uh, nips up real quick. But Austin comes right back at him and hits the rock bottom, which is real cool. Seeing him use uh, Rock's finisher against him. Rock catches, um, catches them uh, and hits the stunner. So trading each other's finishers here. Rock goes full Austin, I thought, at this point, and starts landing some pretty sick right hands. Like, it felt very much like he was trying to channel, like, the Austin right hands from the beginning of the match, which I thought was cool. The crowd is feeling it at this point. Crowd's super into it. We get a stunner out of nowhere on the uh, – um, as he's doing the uh, right hands, of course, he does the signature Rock spitting on the last one. But just that little delay gives Austin the opening. He um, hits a stunner out of nose, nowhere. The Rock does the amazing backflip, ridiculous sell on that. <laughs> Great near fall. I think if you if you're just watching this and trying to th- like think like you're watching at the time, I could have totally bought that as the finish right there. Mm. Like that would have been a that would have worked. But 
Um, Rock kicks out. Uh, Austin ends up shoving the ref, but that works against him as Rock gets a low blow. Rock goes for the people's elbow, misses it. Um, uh, Austin goes for the stunner, but Rock shoots him into the shoots him off the ropes. It's the spine buster. Uh, I like that throughout this, Rock just always seemed like he was like in a way, like he kind of learned from all his battles with Austin because all these things that could have been the finish before, like you could see him going down. He has some counter for like here, like getting out of the Mm -hmm. stunner, shooting him off the ropes. Then he does get the people's elbow, but that's still not enough as Austin kicks out. Austin gets up, rock hits another rock bottom. Uh, that's still not enough to put Austin away. JR is just losing his shit at this point, like going full (laughs) on, uh, horse JR. Uh, I love that, uh, one of my favorite things about this, and I think what helps to not, I mean, there's other reasons too, but why the finisher stuff doesn't come off as kind of lame is that I like that rock doesn't do the whole, like, um, how do I beat this guy? I just can't put him down. Like every time he hits the rock bottom again, he doesn't like panic or anything. He just jumps right back up and like stares mm-hmm. Austin down, waiting for him to get up to hit another one. Like, again, like you kind of know he, like he's going to do what he has to do to win. He's not going to do this bullshit. Like he knows that it's not crazy. Austin would kick out cause he's Austin. So he like, right. They don't, they skip that whole trope, which I really enjoyed, but uh, he like, he pops back up. He's determined. Austin fights out a little bit, but rock goes right back to the rock bottom. Austin kicks out again. And again, rock just never misses a beat, just watches him again. And then one final kill shot, another rock bottom decisive. And he gets the one, two, three. And picks up his first uh, and only win against Stone Cold at WrestleMania here. So, um, epic showdown here, Matt. Uh, definitely. What, what did you think? Give me some thoughts on this. Uh, quite the uh, the epic end to the trilogy. Yeah. Uh, epic, I think, is the right word for this. Uh, it's a fantastic match. Uh, and honestly, it, this is probably the most that I have enjoyed uh, this match watching it. I, I really, really enjoyed this. And to me, what I really noticed the most, and you've mentioned it, is just how fucking good The Rock was during this. Mm-hmm. I mean, Hollywood Rock, I think, just added so much more to this, even more so than like a corporate rock. Like a corporate rock and Hollywood Rock, to me, like occupy two, diff- two different spots in my mind because they're so totally different characters and i just think rock absolutely worked his ass in this match to get that heel hollywood rock character over you know with him you know uh, wearing austin's vest taunting austin flipping him off stealing his finishers stuff like that i just thought uh his heel work was absolutely fantastic during all of this match uh kudos to austin for, for gutting his way through this knowing the shape that he was in you know his neck basically being uh you know hanging on by a thread and the fact that he spent a night in the hospital prior to this i mean it's just <laughs> kudos to him for working through this um i feel like and I'm, i don't mean this as a slight on it like it's gonna sound i mean this in the best way possible it felt very much like an austin rock greatest hits type of match where mm-hmm. you know they're doing their thing and that again that's not a bad thing it's it's like going to see led zeppelin and they play fucking whole lot of love you know it's something like, <laughs> oh they play they played a whole lot of love like i want to hear something new no you fucking don't you want to see the greatest hits please and I, I really like the finish with Rock just fucking killing Austin with three rock bottoms. I, I thought that was really well done. And like you said, he can't finish him with the first one, so he goes to the second one right away, goes to the third one right away, doesn't, you know, play to the crowd, look at his hands, he just fucking does it because he knows that's what he has to do to beat him. And I, I also feel like... And I'm assuming this was kind of by design, knowing how Vince was backstage being a a micromanaging psychopath like he was. I feel like this was meant to put a bow on the Attitude Aristotle match. 
because mm-hmm. you you look at where this was on the card and you look at the match that's coming up next it very much felt like all right this is the old style of main event that we are going to phase out these are the two guys who perfected doing this style of main event this is going to put a bow on that style and in the next match here's the new style that we are going to build really the future of the company on and the future main events and title matches and all that stuff on so i don't know if that was by design or not but that really uh that really i really noticed that uh during this and yeah uh, i i just think this was really well done i still the mania 17 match for me is better even with the terrible finish like i'm probably like a four and a half for a rating on that match but this this is uh probably for me now this is like the second best match that these two guys have had so i'm gonna go i I debated going either four or four and a quarter on this i think i'm gonna go four and a quarter on it i i enjoyed this that much and yeah uh for me it was hollywood rock really that gave this the extra boost i just thought he was so great during this match yeah um i agree i i love that they were able to kind of put like him doing the heel Hollywood rock stuff with the vest and everything, but it never, it never became too much in the match, which I enjoyed. Right. Like it, um, right. you know, it was just enough to remind you like he's a dickhead, but it also, I thought they did a good job putting her. He did a good job putting across like that. He was focused that he wasn't going to let, like he wanted to have his cake and eat it too. Like I'm going to be a cocky asshole, but I know I can't dick around too much or right. I'll lose again. And like, I got to beat this guy. Like yep. they didn't like he channeled like that Brahma bull like side to destroy him in then, which I thought was really cool. But yeah, it definitely the 17 what is is man, it's just hard to beat that because it's like them at their prime kind of like right. this right. definitely feels like as good as it is and as well done as it, it definitely feels like the last act. Like yep. <laughs> like that one's Empire Strikes Back. This is Return of the Jedi. Like it's just right. like you said, it's more like the greatest hits. It ends up being kind of Austin's unofficial retirement match, and it kind of has that feel to it. And, and yep. I'm with you. It does have that, like, you know, putting a ball in the attitude or, like, the, the ultimate final attitude era, like, brawling throughout everything and then the finisher spamming at the end, like, in the best possible way. It, it felt to me like like Warrior Savage kept coming to mind when I was watching this, and I don't mm, think it's quite yeah. on that level, but it kind of right. has that feel to it, even though they don't... I think it could have been closer to that if they would have actually put forth like that it was if they would have said like okay this is austin's career on the line then i think maybe right. it would have felt even more like that but that's kind of the vibe i got to like just unloading the chamber and it kind of feels okay because of that um like um the the finishing sequence i thought is awesome like the way it just builds yep. on everything like when i was first watching the beginning i was like, okay the beginning's all right but when they when like as soon as he put the vest on i felt like they they kicked it to another gear and um mm-hmm. yeah like it, it almost makes me wonder because I think, you know, at the time they sort of knew, like I think Vince and everyone knew even before the hospital stuff, like, like I think they were kind of planning for him to be done. It almost makes you wonder because I mean, why not do it? Cause they'll capitalize on anything that they would. I wonder if Austin just was like, I don't want to do a retirement retirement match. Right. Right. Like it makes you like, I'm surprised they didn't do it just to get the added juice because you know, they'll it is, it is, it worth, is very right? weird. It is, mm-hmm. it is weird that they don't announce this as a retirement match because, like you said, I mean, Austin couldn't have been the only one who knew this was it for him, right? Some Somebody else, whether mm-hmm. it was Vince, somebody else had Stephanie, whoever, someone had to know that he was probably done. And, I mean, unless it was, like, a super last-minute decision, like he decided, like, within the last week that this was it for him, like, while he was preparing for the match or whatever, then I could see it. But, like, if he knew for months, like, why not bill it as, you know, his retirement match? 
rematch or do some sort of retirement step where if Austin loses, he's done, you know, something like that. Right. But he, he does like you would expect him to go. Another thing too, is like, if my memory serves me, they must've known too, because they hit the ground running too much with his, the fate where he goes after this. Right. I feel like if it was a true surprise, it would have taken them a minute to kind of regroup, but they kind of go, if I'm remembering the time frame, right. I think they go pretty quickly into what his next iteration is going to be. Yeah. It's um, pretty soon afterwards. Yeah. Yep. Right. I think you're right. But, um, yeah, but it could have just been him, but either way he goes out like you'd expect him to, like, he's kind of a guy who's always saw himself as like a, um, you know, like a, you know, kind of respects the, the classic wrestling thing. So he seems like a guy that want to go out on his back and that's what he does. But, uh, I went forward a quarter on it. I'm with you, Matt. I just think, you know, for, for this type of match, I think they could have done a lot worse with, you know, him coming in, the condition was in, you know, maybe not these two guys going for the title or anything. It, to me, it's like the only way I could see being better is if they just went all out and called their retirement match and maybe you have that added emotion. But otherwise, it's it's pretty damn good. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's for me, it's like I said, it's probably number two as far as Austin mm-hmm. Rock matches go overall behind 17. So, yeah, it's it's a fantastic match. Right. And so at the end, he kind of limps. This is where I was thinking if you were watching at the time, you might have been like, Okay, so like the way he they hit his music. So Rock, you know, celebrates for a minute and then Rock also gets out of the way super quick. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like if, you know, it's almost like he knew Austin needed the moment. And so he leaves him out there and they hit Austin's music and he kind of limps up the ramp. They up this long ramp and kind of salutes the crowd with the middle fingers at the top of the stage. Like it felt very that moment, I thought felt very much like, hey, this is my, you know, my goodbye sort of thing. Yeah, that that's the thing. As soon as they hit Austin's music at the at the end of the match, I would have been like, "Oh, what what are we doing?" And the fact that he gets a massive send off, you know, they follow him up the ramp, he salutes the crowd. That's when I would have been like, "Is is he done? Is that is that what we're doing here?" You know, right? Because otherwise, I could see Rock like hitting the Hollywood Rock music and celebrating for like seven minutes, like right. <laughs> exactly. talking the crowd and shit. Like, yeah, and I. Yeah, just just awesome. A good a good capper for these two guys that have, you know, arguably the biggest rivalry in, in WWE history. Two of the biggest guys ever. So pretty cool. But uh, but thanks for talking with me uh, about him, man. Very much appreciate it. Glad Jake, you could join. Jake, mm-hmm. always a pleasure. Anytime. All right. Well, you kind of said it, Matt. This kind of is kind of puts the bullet in the attitude there, and you alluded to it. But we'll uh, we'll get into. Uh, the match that I think, if we're going to uh, put these epic titles on it, this may be the match that truly brings us into the uh, ruthless, ruthless aggression era. So,
a man in a trance? Is it focus or is it fear? Last thing Kurt Angle wants to do is lose that championship. And that just might happen against Brock Lesnar. And Brock Lesnar. Oh, time. Here we go. Challenger quickly on the attack. Here we go. It'll cool. be over. Finally, we're here at the main event um, of WrestleMania 19, or the the main main event, um, as we've had many matches that can be considered main events. But for this show, it is the final match, and that is going to be Brock Lesnar versus Kurt Angle. Let me bring in my final guests on this spectacular. Um, you can hear them on Clotheslines and Headlines 2.0 here on the North-South Connection, and that is Mr. Rocco Martone. What's going on, Rocco? Nothing much, Jake. Thank you so much for having me. This is probably, if people knew, there was supposed to be a much bigger guest (laughs) on this episode. And uh, it's kind of like, no, I had of Texas and I am Savio Vega and I am not Triple H. So, (laughs) Triple HBK. You're above Savio Vega. You're above the Savio line for sure. I knew you would. In 2003, I might have been wearing the same jeans he used to wear all the time, too. A little baggy. Well, we are here. This is the main event of the show. Um, this match has had a ton of build. Um, I would say maybe the most build. I mean, depending on I think of build, I guess you could say Hogan Vince has, you know, 30, 30 years, years of build. <laughs> but in the, you know, in the traditional sense of wrestling build, this is probably the most build of any match on this show. I mean, these guys have kind of been in some way connected for the past. I don't know, almost six months at this point, like ever since Brock lost the title and then big show was in cahoots with, um, with angle and Heyman and all that stuff. So these guys have been going back and forth and they really did a pretty good job in the build to this considering how much TV they have to do. They've kept these guys away from each other a pretty good amount. I think for the era, I think they've, they've kept them away pretty good for this uh, build. And it's been a, been a pretty good one. I mean, it's gone a lot of places. You had the Eric angle stuff, um, you have Heyman involved. There's a whole bunch going on here, but it's kind of settled in as we get to it on pretty much there. They're framing this, you know, that it's got like a personal edge to it, these two guys. But the, the main framing of this is that it is like two athletes in their prime, two legit wrestlers in their prime going at each other 
like on the biggest stage for the biggest title. So that's what we got here, Rocco. Any thoughts on the build to this match? Yeah, it was really neat. I mean, when you say six months, it's kind of crazy because Lesnar's only been around for a year pretty much. So like half of his career is tied up in angle and without resorting to a lot of crazy shenanigans and chicanery, not chicanery, shenanigans. Like, yeah, they, they kept it interesting on the TV. And of course you have the angle, the, uh, no pun intended, the, the, uh, the, the angle here that they didn't even know if Kurt was going to be able to do the match. And with it, even just a couple weeks ago, as they were coming into mania, you thought they might do the old switcheroo, but being the maniac that Kurt angle is, he, re- he kind of refused to, to go down. And there was even talk at the time, obviously it doesn't happen that this could have been his, um, his last match. So. You definitely get the sense going into this that this is going to be angle like not that Brock hasn't been champion already, but kind of a passing of the torch moment here for Kurt. So we have that in the back of our minds that Kurt could uh, easily, you know, I don't know, paralyze himself if something would go wrong in this match. So you have that going on here. Um, It'd be pretty crazy if Angle and Austin both had their last match ever in 2003. Right. Exactly. Like it's it's already extremely like um, it's like a historical show when I get to the the breakdown at the end. Uh, but yeah, so you have all that going on. And the last thing I'll say before we actually hop into the match, I was, I was thinking through this and I know you're a, you have a pretty good knowledge of wrestling, wrestling history, but uh, for WrestleManias, I was trying to think if, you know, the presentation that we got here as, as two like for a WrestleMania main event, like the two guys being presented as, like I said earlier, it's just like about them being athletes and like pure wrestlers. I want to say Definitely Sean Brett, the Iron Man match, it was built that way. But I'm trying to think if there's anyone. I mean, definitely, I think up to this point, there w- wouldn't have been. Am I am I missing anything? Because, I mean, most of the 80s stuff wasn't really presented that way. You know, the, the 90s stuff was didn't, besides the, the brief, like I said, with Sean and Brett. But can you think of any that were presented this way, like with this, you know, legit athlete sort of deal going on? I mean, the one you bring up is the closest, and there's still a lot of personal stuff involved for each of the guys and that's kind of a little bit of uh, kind of my what it's it's something that gives me a little bit of distance to this match from connecting to it fully is that aspect because it does take away some of the emotional investment as other than the championship and i guess there's some you know brock wants revenge for constantly getting dicked over and angle's just a monster who doesn't ever want to lose there there is a little bit of something that's just compared to the austin rock match before it it just that aspect is like very uh, there's a delineation between the uh, the motives of each matches like competitors you know right like you said it it is there definitely like you like you mentioned him getting screwed over and all the Eric Angle bullshit and all that and just Heyman constantly screwing him over but the thing is you don't have Heyman here because when it gets down to the match as we get into these entrances it's pretty no frills like it's both guys like there's no uh, Shawn Michaels coming down on the. Uh, the zip line or anything it's just i mean they both come out they have music and stuff but they both just kind of do a pretty serious walk down this long ramp like there's not a lot of and you have no team angle you have no uh you have no Heyman. it's really just these two guys like mono and mono so they kind of it was in the build but when we get down to the match it's really not they don't really make it a part of the match that much they kind of settle more in on this uh you know it being an athletic competition and but I, I agree with you. It's not something I think WWE has done a lot in the past. And um, obviously, I, it's kind of the ch- it's like a new era that they're going into here. It was shocking to me. Like you mentioned the ring entrances, and that's really uh, cool that you mentioned that because I was watching it. I was like, that is the quickest a, a mm-hmm. champion has ever walked to the ring in the main event mm-hmm. of WrestleMania. 
and it was like a uh, like I think the entrances in like the N64 games are <laughs> were longer <laughs> than that. You know, Rock's music didn't even get to the little rap part in the middle that he has the little uh, DJ Lethal scratches in there. So it was quick. Yeah, and they were just in that ring ready to go. Right. So they both get down. Like I said, Angle Solo doesn't have any of his boys with him. And, uh, and we just get going. So it, uh, and I, we'll, we'll get to some of that. Let's get into the match. So we, um, I think there's a, we have Cole and Taz too calling this, I should say, which is a cool spot for them as I've gone through this last year from WrestleMania 18 and now them on SmackDown. They've been killing it. I mean, I think they earned it, uh, getting the spot to do the, the true main event. Considering when they first started the brand split, they didn't even let Cole and Taz call the SmackDown matches. Like they would just let, JR and King awkwardly call these matches that they had no investment in, which was kind of weird at first. But uh, it's a cool spot for them. Um, Cole and Taz have been really good. Taz specifically is awesome. And Taz is like the perfect guy for this match, as we'll see as it uh, unfolds. But And, and in this match, he mm-hmm. really steps up because I guess Cole mm-hmm. seemed to have a hard time even speaking for a little bit of it. <laughs> and, like, and like you said, Taz is kind of like, I think Brock and Angle are the two wrestlers Taz would want to be. You know, like mm-hmm. he wishes he was as big as Brock and he wishes he could have had the career of Angle, you know, because he's kind of a, a, de- was a beta version of, of that. You know? <laughs> right. So, right. He being... crawled so they could walk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. But uh, anyway, so we start off, as you'd expect, lots of mal work. Uh, Going off the amateur wrestling stuff, the uh, the headlock takeovers, uh, no one really going for the kill, no really big moves at first. Uh, Taz explains that the uh, the key to this match is going to be Kurt's speed because he has a speed advantage. Obviously, these guys are both good technicians in their own way, but if Brock starts throwing bombs, Kurt's going to be fucked as Taz's angle on this, which is pretty accurate. It's a good way to frame the match. Um, and that's exactly what Brock starts to do because after they get past the mat work a little bit, he drops Kurt with a press slam. And uh, then they worked their way outside. And they did a good job, I thought, of making Kurt seem like a little bit more of the veteran here. Like, so you think Brock's going to start beating his ass. They go to the outside of the ring, and Kurt launches him into the post, which was a pretty sick spot of quite a few we're going to see in this match. Um, and so he kind of neutralizes Brock that way, throws him back in, hits this. Uh, it was like a rear naked choke, but it's a little bit of a variation where he like has that knee in Brock's back, which is a good, nice callback because he had put that Brock in that, um, I believe, on TV leading up to this. So nice little callback on that. And Brock has the injured rib. So we have the rib tape going on, the DDP special here. So he's kind of working the ribs. Brock lifts him and rams him into the rope. So again, kind of playing off that Brock has the power to maybe overcome. Maybe Kurt's the better technician, but Brock is uh, a monster. So he has that going for him. Um, I, I did like, as they're starting to get into this, they did not let the match get too grounded. Like, they they move back and forth between, you know, like, Angle doing the rear naked choke, but he didn't sit there for 20 minutes. Like, they get up, they hit a few belly to bellies back and forth on each other. Like, they ebbed and flow well to make sure, because I do think even if it fits the two guys, this would be a weird setting to have an extremely, like, mat-based match that was too mat-based. So I thought they were smart on that end. Uh Kurt reverses the F5 right into an ankle lock, which I thought was a nice little sequence there. Again, like he's got the craftiness over Brock. Brock powers out, and Kurt takes an insane bump. I'm surprised he didn't, like, blow out both of his knees on that. He, like, did this wild flip out of the ring, like, went completely vertical and landed straight up and down. Um, his body was so elongated and stretched out. Like, you know, like, <laughs> wild. He, he, full commitment. You know, like, it, it was insane, dude. Totally insane. 
Right. A man that they were worried that couldn't be in this match because, you know, he might destroy his neck. And he's like, yeah, I'll take a I'll fly 10 feet in the air. And, and that's him, right? That's him. <laughs> Everything is 100 percent commitment to every single fucking move. His moonsault is like that. Everything he does, he, when he hits the post, when he misses, like someone dodges and he hits his shoulder into the post. It's just insane how much commitment he puts to every single move. It's painful to watch. <laughs> Right, like he didn't do the um, he didn't do like the top rope like bounce off. He just went clear over the top right. rope. It was insane. Like at one point, uh, his hands were uh, on the rope and his feet were as stretched out as they could be, like eight feet in the air, just a vertical, perpendicular to the ground. It was fucking wild. He's a bad man. Yeah. Um. So we we kind of move into the bombs now. Um. Like uh, Kurt gets back in. He puts uh, he does the rolling Germans. He does this like release German where Brock, Brock does like a flip. It's almost like a release belly to belly. It was a German, and Brock completely flips over him. Um, Brock actually uh, works into a cr- uh, he works Brock into a cradle after this, which uh, I believe Taz got really excited. Called I think he called it a spider. I, I don't know. I'm not I'm not the biggest move expert. He's like that's the spider, Cole. That's the spider. I think he would have called it a spider. But yeah, he definitely did. Right. right. Um, Brock gets the F5, but Kurt kicks out of it. And I think they're correct on this. I don't think anyone had kicked out of the F5 up to this point. So that kind of, the crowd was a little kind of, I think the crowd knew they were kind of in for a long match here. So they're kind of, you know, going a little easy at first. But whatever Kurt kicks out of the F5, the crowd just lit up. Like they were like, okay, now we're. Now we're cooking here. We're kicking out of the F5. They're they're going places now. Um, and good on them for kind of saving that. If anyone has kicked out, it wasn't it wasn't made a big deal. Um, I think even Taker, like in the cell, they didn't even do that or anything. So um, we then get Kurt uh, wiggling his way into the ankle lock after he survives the F5. Um, they they kind of go back and forth a bit more. Another F5. I love Kurt's uh, selling on this. Like he just completely goes limp. Like which I guess maybe we should have been a little afraid here because maybe he wouldn't lift because uh, his his body went numb if he landed on his neck. But, yeah, he just, like, he, the, it was a great F5. Like, he just flung around, hit the ground, and just, like, plopped on the mat. And so you think maybe this is going to be Brock's window to go for the win. And then, inexplicably, Brock goes up to the top rope. You could see he looks a little out of sorts. Like, he looks a little rubber-legged. I mean, Very trepidatious is... when he turns around and looks at Kurt, and he's like, fuck, that dude's far away. Far away. You could see his legs kind of shaking a little bit. You know, obviously, he's no uh, ricochet. It's not really his reputation, even though we've all heard the story. He would do it in OVW, blah, blah, blah. So he goes up and attempts a shooting star press, but uh, Billy Kidman, he is not, because he lands directly on his head. Um a famous spot we've all seen a billion times. It's got to be like in the top, you know, whatever replayed spots that they've done. But um, after this, the crowd gets quiet even. Like, I think the crowd is like, oh, my God, is this still going to be able to walk? But he somehow manages to get up, hit an F5, and then it's a, it's a little sluggish for a minute. They, like, he's out of sorts. He gets his bearings, hits the F5, and then kind of goes for a pretty basic pin for the win. So... The finish, I mean, for obvious reason, gets a little thrown off there. Um, but yeah, this—I didn't think this was like a classic or anything. Like, but it was an awesome physical battle. I, again, I like the balance of them, kind of working the grinding each other down, but then mixing in the big bombs and the big spots throughout this. I thought each guy played their role well. I thought 
Kurt, as much as you could have more like a heel face dynamic in this, I thought he played the heel well by being more of a, uh, being leaning a little more towards like the heel flair where it's more about him trying to, you know, he has these crafty reversals and that kind of thing. But Brock is just too much for him to overcome. Brock gets his title back. He gets the big moment, even though he probably doesn't remember a fucking single moment of this after landing on his head. So again, after watching this again, I would go, this to me is more like a four star, like a great match, but to me, it never really climbed into, I don't know if it's because of the finish or what, but it never climbed into the like upper echelon of like all time classics for me. Rocco, what'd you think? I agree with that. I kind of, it's legend maybe precedes it a little bit. And I thought it was mm-hmm. going to be a little more epic. It definitely is a lot of just back and forth and mm-hmm. angle really is the one here. Cause whenever angle gets the advantage, it's because Brock is coming at him and he, he, mm-hmm. it's never him really taking advantage of Brock. It's always like ducking out a little chicanery type stuff, but uh, angle does a running knee to his back that I really loved. I always love that in a match when a guy just does like a running knee, it's kind of one of those, ultimate equalizers that should kind of always be there i think taz really kind of says i think a few times taz says they're playing possum and i think that's maybe Mm -hmm. to cover for the fact that there is a lot of big move get up kind of stuff here instead Mm -hmm. of like just guys you know taking in you know because it really doesn't stop like he said like it really keeps going for all the big bombs that they're throwing so yeah i i agree um do you think do you think the limb work truthers out there are shitting would not like certain parts of this match since Brock does have his ribs taped and it doesn't really get used. It doesn't really get worked over more than like a second. And maybe the ankle lock is never really sold. I don't give a fuck about that. I'm not a whim work truther at all. I think it's kind of annoying when people are, but I think maybe that could ding people. Like, like the tape yeah. ribs is also fake. That's not a real thing. They would never tape your ribs in real life. That would actually make <laughs> I broke my rib once and I asked like the doctor if he's going to tape my ribs. He's like, no, that's, that's not a real thing. It can make you like suffocate. <laughs> so DDP, who I'm sure is listening to this, is, um, just <laughs> you know. threw his, threw his phone at the wall. <laughs> so bad. What kind of doctors was I like, going to? Nah, no, I'm, if it was like, I mean, I kind of go back and forth sometimes there's certain situations where it's, but I'm always like, it's only if they make it like a huge part of the match and then forget, but I didn't think it was like a huge, like, I didn't think like, well, this is the story they're telling. It's about Brock's ribs. I thought it was just like angles generally focusing on the ribs because, you know, he's got the injury, but it like, that wouldn't be, that's not my gripe with it. I think it. I think it never really reaches like a full, and again, it could be because, but then again, it's like, it's weird too. I have to look into it, but I wonder, was it that he was going to finish with, like, was he going to win with the shooting star press? That would have been such an odd finish for like Brock Lesnar's WrestleMania match from the, you know, again, a move no one's ever kid. seen before. Yeah. No one's ever seen this before. And this is the end. I, right. <clears throat> sorry about mm-hmm. that. It was really like impressive when you think about, well, first off, I think one of the issues with the match, too, maybe where it didn't have heat in a lot of ways, because when you take away Heyman and Team Angle, and he can't even really cheat, so, like, really, if he's cheating, like, you take away a lot of the chance for him to get heat in the match, so maybe, like, he's the, all of a sudden, after, like you said, months of doing some, he he had a fucking Earl Hebner uh, twin brother Ted DiBiase-level bit of trickery. And now he's going in there just like, yeah, I'm an athlete. I'm going to fight him. Where it's like, to me, like, taking away Heyman. Like, maybe Heyman could have just tried to come out to the ring. I don't really know. It seems like they really wanted to – it seems like they took away a chance for Angle to really have heat. And I know they're presenting them as two athletes. And 
maybe that it, I don't know. It just seems anticlimactic to what's been happening beforehand, you know. So it just like if I if I don't know if Bobby Heenan was outside during WrestleMania three's main event, it would be a lot differently perceived, I think. So I think taking away the chances for her her to do that it kind of hurt the match. Right. I think it could have been probably better, honestly, if they did. I feel like they made a conscious choice of like, you know, maybe it won't be the greatest thing ever. Like maybe it will hurt the match a bit, but I feel like they wanted to put this match on last to show like, look, this is, you can expect this going forward. Like it's not just always going to be brawls and it's not going to be managers and all that kind of stuff. Like, you may see as we move forward into this next era, like we're going to focus on guys that are athletes. And I wonder if it was not necessarily that like they thought that that was what they, they just wanted to do that. I thought, I think that like knowing the guys that they have coming up, that that's probably the strength of a lot of their younger talent at this point. And maybe they felt it was like a, you know, like a coach trying to make a system that fits his players kind of. And so they, maybe wanted to use this as a moment of like, no, look, we just want these two guys, these two great athletes to go out. And, you know, even if that wasn't the story, that's how we want to present this to show like we can end a WrestleMania on with this kind of match. And it's going to make sense. And the crowd will love it. And that sort of thing. Right. That's the, like we, we've talked about as we've gone through the show, but you kind of have all these matches that are like in their own way, like Vince doing his own, like the platonic ideal of the insane Vince brawl craziness you have Austin and Rock doing like the, you know, like an homage to all the attitude stuff. And you have this match ending it, which is kind of hinting at like, you know, maybe the company's going more in this direction. Yeah. I mean, if you think about and the fact that this followed four other like 30 minute like matches, including like, like you said, like HBK at Y2J is like fucking new gen versus attitude. Right. And Hogan mm-hmm. Booker's like Nitro versus Raw. Vince Hogan, that's just fucking a tale as old as time. Fucking Beauty and the Beast. Austin Rock is kind of like the attitude legends, like, like that's it, the, the final battle. And then you get this, and it's maybe, like, you're right, it's kind of like Ruthless taking mm-hmm. out the attitude era in some ways. So it's it's cool. Austin Rock seems like the right way to end it. But is the, this is saying the title is more important maybe to the show. You know what I mean? Like, this, mm-hmm. this is the important part for this show and for this company is this title is the important thing. This style of match is what we're doing now. So, and yeah, like if Austin rock wins, then two guys who aren't going to be there (laughs) are ending mania, which is cool. But on Monday or Friday or whenever I forget what SmackDown was like now, like this, but this, yeah, I I think that's a really good point. Right. Like, I think it was the right choice to that. I think the only way I think you go with Austin rock, if it's, said that it's going to be Austin's last match, like his retirement match, then you definitely do that last. But I think with the, it's sort of been, well, we know it's probably going to be his last match, but we're not, we haven't really said it. I think it's a weird spot to go out on then because then you're, I don't know. I feel like you got to say Austin's leaving to do that. And then every other match, I mean, you damn sure don't want to do triple H Booker T last. Um, no. So I, I think it's the right choice. And I think I think it did accomplish that, right? Even if it's not and like you said, I think it's the the reputation precedes it where it can be easy to get let down by this match because I think your expectations are like 
like this is going to be this all-time thing. And it's still a great match. That's what I'm saying. Like I went four on it. It's just to me, it's not like this all-time classic. But I think it did. If that was their goal, I think it did put that over. Like I think you would leave this being satisfied thinking like, you know, I could get behind this if this is kind of a direction that they want to go because they definitely have the guys to do it. And especially knowing that like, you know, this is Kurt coming in with a, you know, maybe the last match of his career, like, will he ever be able to wrestle again? He's worried about, well, I know he's not worried, but you know what I mean? He's got a, he's got all that in the back of his head and he still comes out and does this. It's like pretty amazing also. Yeah, that's really true. And it's like a match is like, what, uh, what does the match want to accomplish? And I think they did that, you know, and that's what they, you know, want to make rock the next guy in this big mania moment. And, you know, that's what his intentions were. So, yeah, so it, but it is tough not to watch the Austin Rock mm-hmm. match and compare it to it, I think. Cause, right, right. Because mm-hmm. the Austin Rock is just, for me, that's what I love. I love that personal story. And it, it, it uh, like when I watch wrestling, I'm, I'm more into like the mood and the tone and the feel of it all. You know, I want to be like mesmerized and entranced. Mm-hmm. And, Rock and uh, Rock and Austin are so expressive in how they're doing it that they mm-hmm. do such a good job of getting me to do that. Where here, I did have a little bit of a hard time with the story. Because like, Movies, you kind of know the plot, and then this, like what a movie's about comes to you later, like you, when you you uh, you reflect upon it. And wrestling's not like that. You kind of know what's supposed to be happening here. And Rock and Austin is just so expressive that you know exactly what this match means. And this match, it kind of lost me on their the way they were looking at each other and their facial expressions. Maybe because Rock was still young, and mm-hmm. and Angle did seem less intense than he usually is because he's usually just like a fucking pit bull. You know, he gets mm-hmm. on you. He seems like the worst guy to ever wrestle if you were me, because I'd be out of breath in five seconds. Like, you can't shake him. He's on you. You can't, like a villain in, like, a video game where you got to, like, button mash to get him off you. And he doesn't really take that tact here when he's wrestling him. Because it seems more of, like, a back-and-forth match. It was just Mm -hmm. interesting. And I I guess, like, I'm, you know, I'm I'm comparing one to the other, and that's not really what this match is about. But I feel like you have to when you have such a big match Mm -hmm. before it. And... That's what I'm into in wrestling is like the uh, I like it raw. I, I don't care as much about technique as I do about the emotion of a match that it conveys. And I feel like maybe this just wasn't my style to be the best. I still think it's good. You know? mm-hmm. I'm not saying it's not good. Things could exist in concert with each other. It doesn't have to be one or the other. You know, like I'm not shitting on one or the other. Like sometimes wrestling mm-hmm. fans forget that you could have two opinions and they exist in the same way. Like so, it, yeah, I, I don't know if that makes sense to you, but. Right. I know, but I, I get it. And I, I think one reason it works too, if you look at the whole show is like, like we said, you have all those other matches that are doing those other things. And this just gives you another, it just adds to the variety of the show. Like we said, you have the, you know, all these different matches that kind of take on this different tone. And this is just another, but I definitely agree with Brock. And I, I think it's, we always have to remember that how still young he is at this point. I mean, he's super good, but like, I think when he makes his return, you know, in 10 years or whatever, I think that's when he really puts it all together and kind of does this. Like he still has the technique and everything, but he channels like a little bit like what you were saying. Like he becomes the, you know, like the beast character, like in ring where it's like maybe he becomes a little more like limited as set, but he like knows how to channel that like visceral, you know, like the suplex city stuff. Like he becomes this. I think that's when he kind of puts what you're saying all together where he can do this type of match, but then also have that like. I don't know, like, I don't know what's the word for it. Like, what would you just articulate it? Like, I think he gets that later on in his career after he goes to UFC and all that. I think that's when you get, like, peak Brock that has the full package. 
I mean, any art form that you're in, you get better as you get older. It's just as simple as that. Sometimes, like, a, a band's first album might be more uh, raw, but the way you look at it will change because you'll gain little bits of nuances. Maybe an album's not the best way because it's not really growing, but your songwriting probably becomes better. Maybe your where you're coming from changes, but I think most bands in, like, real that really work at it, they get better. Filmmakers, sometimes their first movie is more primal and raw, but, like, Brock just knowing, getting to know who he is as the character mm-hmm. is just formed at with age and learning. And, you know, fuck, he probably was nervous as shit in front of 60,000 right. people, right? So, yeah, like uh, this is his first WrestleMania, which is insane to think that's about. That's insane, yeah. And I'm comparing <laughs> him, I'm comparing him to Rock and Austin, which is insane. Those are two guys at the peak mm-hmm. of their powers at, at conveying emotion to a, a crowd of 60,000. And it's almost not fair, but hey, you're, you know, you're there. We'll, we'll, we'll compare them all. But yeah, you're really like, you could really see uh, immature not saying that as a, as a pejorative, just meaning what it means, just not being experienced. It definitely shows a little bit to me here with Brock. Um, what did you think about the hug at the end? Um, I, w- I felt like that was a bit more of like them kind of like in the moment, like it's definitely like a, a breaking kayfabe over i think it was like you know you like brock almost you know who knows what's gonna happen to him after smashing his face kurt thinking like who knows like are they gonna make me stop wrestling so i feel like it's probably just that and like brock being appreciative of like kurt putting him over in this big spot him being so young i think it was one of those just all that kind of you know did it fit what was going on in the the story i think it's probably those two just getting caught up and you know Right. It's it's kind of good that maybe Heyman and those guys weren't out there because it mm-hmm. gave him that little bit of a moment and like maybe kind of good that Angle disappears for a few months after this, too. So you don't have to, like, explain it. And it definitely seemed like two dudes like like the respect was there, which wasn't really the story. Mm-hmm. So like you're saying, it did seem like two dudes who one was probably scared of having to retire and one dude was probably scared of the fucking broken neck. Just being like, right. we made it through that. Holy shit. And hey. Uh, the next WrestleMania ended with a hug too, so maybe they were gonna start a trend after that. <laughs> and we forget. We try to forget about that one. <laughs> we'll get there. I'll be there in uh, twenty twenty eight, roughly. So <laughs> I'll let you know then. Um, yeah. Well, but, a Mania match, a Mania main event's worst sin is being boring, and this was not boring. You know, like a Mania match fails right. if it's boring. This was not, and I feel like Triple H and Orton can suck it if they say it's because of their placement on the card or whatever, because this proves that you could come after four insanely long, two hours of insane, mm-hmm. huge matches, and the crowd was still enraptured with this fucking match, and I think that's really impressive. So no more no more blaming card placement, people. <laughs> no. And uh, and Brock, gets he gets his title back, and he's back at the top of the mountain. Yeah, it's impressive. Uh, it was, uh, it, you know, it's kind of like the beginning. You know, WrestleMania not always ending the storylines, but you get the end and the beginning starting. So kind of cool. Very good. And then the chair on top of this whole show is that we get the awesome, which these are super talented people that WWE's production people to put this together the and same the, night at the same, same night. Right. Like, but the, the highlight package after is just excellent. With the, the hardest the working addict. dude. That's got to be the most stressful job in the motherfucking world to be this dude going, I need to, I know I have two and a half minutes of Wimp Biscuit. I got to make all this four hours match up to beat by beat. Like, cause he's on point. Right. That's what I was going to say too. It's not just like generic set to the music. Like there are points where it's synced up with the music. Like it's amazing. And the little, uh, the little, uh, um, 
there's a little bridge where he's just Fred Durst mm-hmm. is kind of singing, which probably never, never sing Fred Durst, but <laughs> does it and it kicks in right at the Austin match, and every punch is on a fucking drum hit, every punch is on a bass hit or a, a, a dumbo drop with the guitar. It's so fucking cool, man. Yeah. And Fred Durst great... is such a weirdo mm-hmm. that he decided that making girls dress like him is how he wanted to handle his celebrity. <laughs> you know what? I'm gonna make girls dress like me, and other guys are gonna think it's cute. So good on Fred Durst. Very good. Well, you know, I'll leave this up to you, Rocco. Do you want to, as I, this ends the show, would you like to share overall thoughts? Do you have, uh, I know you've been with me for all the matches, but uh, if you'd like to share your thoughts, I'm assuming you've seen WrestleMania 19. I did. I did. I did. I saw it. I saw it live. Uh, My friend invited me and a couple friends over. He was a younger guy who wanted to impress us all. Didn't tell us that his parents were super strict and they had a hippie freak out when they came downstairs and I was smoking (laughs) and weed. brought like a case of beer over this fucking 19 year old kid's house so uh we didn't get invited back but they would have stay for the whole thing um i think i was i was definitely super into austin rock two of my favorites i love austin i that was my thing here i was definitely more of a fan of smackdown at the time but just that idea of austin rock is the coolest thing ever seeing hogan mcmahon and i probably was just being a little whiner whiner probably when i saw that rvd was on the pre-show because big ecw guy and definitely the trish Mm -hmm. match i was definitely excited about that but it's a fun mania it's definitely not you know i know that's the eternal battle uh but uh wrestlemania 3 still the best wrestlemania of all time so if you want to say 19 17 or 3 i'm going 3 so i've just i've decided (laughs) as i give my overall thoughts i'm not going to i am just going to try and judge wrestlemania 19 give my thoughts on it Um, uh, people take it so personally like your taste is subconscious in some ways and you could have your opinions and you could have, you could be a wrestling fan and think, you know, a lot of stuff, but like your opinions could exist with other people. So you don't have to take it so fucking personally that someone doesn't like the WrestleMania you like, but people are so tied up in their personality being part of the wrestling or the music or movies. They like, they get so bent out of shape if someone doesn't like it. It's fun to, to have these arguments and about them, but sometimes mm-hmm. people get a little too taken personally about them. And I think at this point, I don't, the only way I could, fairly judge it would be to like view you know i would have to go and watch wrestlemania 17 or 3 with the the lens i have this which is going through and doing a podcast and picking apart every little thing over the past year which goes like i've done with this one right because if i'm talking about wrestlemania 17 i have to be like oh yeah go watch wrestlemania 17 but it's hard because i've seen every bit of build to this over the past year so um so definitely yeah mm -hmm. Well, for you, seeing Lesnar get the title mm-hmm. is an actual year-long <laughs> story that you watched, right. and that's pretty fucking cool. And that supersedes me just watching this out of context. I mean, I watched along with the podcast, but not as as in depth as you. And that's that's a that's a year-long story that you watched, right? Like of him debuting as a monster, winning the title as this monster heel, turning babyface, getting screwed over, and now he's back at the top. Yeah, it's like a full. Yeah, definitely this, you know, if we go like the WWE war way, like uh, with Marcus and JT do, definitely like a killer season for the big shows. Because this mania and the and SummerSlam 02 are like top tier. I mean, there's definitely an argument you made that each of those are the best. Again, not trying to say definitively, but there are arguments to be made that each of those is the best, the best show of those two. Like, um the, there's definitely huge historical significance with this show, like what ends up being Austin's last match until very, very recently. Um, you have 
really the true beginning, I think, of the Sean like second act. Because, you know, he did the Triple H stuff, but now you're seeing, like, okay, he's going to come in and, like, face guys like Jericho. Like, who who's he going to have another big feud and come and put in a classic match with? Like, so it kind of lets you know, like, this, to me, really starts his second run. Um, you have, like we said, with the main event, with uh, Brock and Angle, you have them kind of ushering in what may be, like, a new style and a new way that they're – a different way that they're going to start presenting some of this stuff specific, specifically on the SmackDown side. So to me, it's got all that historical stuff going for it. Um, it delivers, I mean, all the matches delivered. The only real downside to me is that is the triple H Booker team match just being a bummer to watch. It's the only to be, um, I know Marcus talked about how the Catfight girls is kind of <laughs> something lame on this show, but it takes up so little time for me. It's hard to like, you know, that's just WWE going to WWE sometimes. But to me, the Triple H Booker T, if they would have just came in and had like a decent match, but I felt like the match was like actively a bummer. Like if they just went and it was like an okay, decent match, which it was an okay match, but the finish and all is just such a like wet fart bummer. I think it does. I think you have to ding the show just a little bit on that. And it's not just like a, a nothing undercard match. It's like a world title match. So with that, I'd probably give it like a cowardly like nine or nine and a half out of ten just for the Triple H Booker T match. But I mean, it's an all time. Whether you think it's the greatest of all time, I mean, it definitely holds up. It's got the historical significance. The atmosphere is killer. It's great variety. Um, yeah, it's just an awesome show. I mean, I don't know yeah, if there's no other way to put it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a it's a peak. It's a it's a it's a it's a it's a peak of this company and a really interesting time for them and where things were going to go. And, you know, when you, we talk about changing how things are going to be by saying, this is Lesnar and this is a guy on top, like look who the champs are in both uh, uh, brands by the end of next year, the year after this, rather the main after mm-hmm. this. And it really, it does go that way. And it's, it's cool. So um, yeah. Um, the triple H Booker thing, like you can't just say that's a small thing cause that's supposed mm-hmm. to be a big, important thing. I and mean, like, right. I, who cares if fucking Matt Hardy versus Rey Mysterio isn't great. That doesn't, I mean, whatever, this is a big fucking deal. And it blew the, it's it, like saying, oh, well, it's a three-star match. It's like, no, it's probably not because it was supposed to be mm-hmm. a fucking four-star, five-star match. It's supposed to be a big, important moment and they fucking shit the bed. So that is, yeah. you know, that is not a, a, a great look. Uh, you know, overall, you're gonna watch the show. Like you said, the vibe is there for the whole deal. It's a, it's an epic night of wrestling. And uh, well, what a surprise! Triple H sucks at WrestleMania. <laughs> Unfortunately, shocking. Said a million times, I've been trying to, you know, I've tried to keep an open mind, but you know, it is what it is. <laughs> it is what it is. But it's been real fun covering this. Thanks, Rocco, for coming on and kind of wrapping it up with me. Uh, it was real fun to do this a little differently and have different people come in and cover different matches. It's really the most fun that I have doing this pod is just um, that I do get to talk to so many different people and get so many different uh, points of view on this. Uh, because even though it is this one era, you can also kind of get a sense of people's just kind of wrestling prism when they come and do the show with you, like, um, which is always fun to do. Uh, yeah, it's I'm going to keep on chugging along. I'll be back to do um, – well, I'm going to do one – one last little WrestleMania 19 related thing that I think will be pretty cool next episode. And then I'll be uh, ripping and roaring into 03 as we'll see the, uh, the backlash to WrestleMania as they say. So, cool. but I'll keep chugging along. Uh, thanks anyone who listens uh, again. Thank you for coming on Rocco. It's, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, the next project is going to be uh, a Biscuits next album, full review for uh, <laughs> track by yes. track breakdown. 
live a live listen a live listen of uh <laughs> well man this product is so cool you uh, listening to one voice dissect one whole entire year of uh, wwf wrestling is insane and uh there's no one i'd rather listen to do it to be in my thanks man uh, and thanks anybody else who listens you know it's if anybody gets any enjoyment out of it, then works for me. Because I, if nothing else, I enjoy talking wrestling with my pals. So, but it's been a lot of fun. Uh, yeah, we'll wrap it up. And uh, addicted to cracking skulls, rock. <laughs> addicted to cracking skulls. All right, figured me out. Listen. Apocalypse now, who's fucking shit now? Give me the countdown. Three, two, one. Calls